Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. G'day world, this is the Sniper of the Skies, Robbie Eagles, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith And Chris Sampsa on today's show, we'll discuss KG Muto's retirement show, Fantastica Mania, New Japan Cup, and cover all latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast after your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. Frequently updated and with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPWWorld to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Josh, Chris, we're not going to pretend like we just did not talk off the air. Uh, we, we got a lot of stuff to cover here in this uh, three-hour window here. So I say let's let's jump into it. Let's give the people, you know, world-class audio. Uh, Chris, power, power three hours. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a uh, microphone on, you would have heard that twice. <laughs> the, the only thing I will say is uh, this is going to be a, a much less disgusting episode 
maybe not for the listener, but Jeremy had to sit through me literally leaking from every single hole in my <laughs> face <laughs> while we while we did the show last week. So uh, it's going to be a lot more sanitary this week. <laughs> well, uh, let's. Which oh, by the way, I wasn't sick. I just had really bad. Uh, um, what's it called? Allergies. Is this like a Lanza gimmick? You you don't get sick. That's kind of like being <laughs> sick. It was. It felt like sick, but then you wake up a couple hours later and you're totally better. So mm-hmm. it was just allergies. I thought I had a flu or something. I was fine. All right, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't listen to them enough to know this bit. Yeah, he, the bit is that the bit is that sick. Joe Lanza has never had the flu and um. That oh, no. can't. That just can't. I, I, I get. Be true. I get sick all the time. So <laughs> I, I, I try my best with vitamins and uh, you know working out and sun, but you know. I legitimately hard. don't get sick like ever. Oh, oh okay. Like what's well, that? <laughs> I've got a strict regimen of vitamins and hydration and rest. Got that uh, str- strong style immune system. That's it. Yep. <laughs> it's a little ishi inside of me. The healthiest Chris there ever was. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, let's jump into uh, our topics here because we got a lot to cover here. Uh, so first, we're going to talk about the Kiji Muto Grand Final Pro Wrestling Last Love Holdout Show. We're only going to talk about the the big New Japan matches that happened on the card. Um, this was last uh, week, February 21st, in the Tokyo Dome. Huge crowd for this show. Uh, first matchup we're going to talk about here was the uh, junior matchup between Hiromu Takahashi and in Amakusa, 11 minutes you know, or two. Before we jump into that, I just want to make mention of the tag match that happened before this. Obviously, I'm not like the biggest uh, Nosawa run guy, like expert there ever was, but it's his final match. And I thought that they had a pretty effective, short, and inoffensive, you know, retirement match that was pretty, uh, you could tell, emotional for all the guys involved, which I thought was pretty good. No, see, I, I, I skipped that one <laughs> and, went, ah. <laughs> and went straight to this match. They, they basically got to a point where, like, no sour wrong guy, like, had he was done fighting. Like, he was, he, they could have kept going, but he realized, like, this is his last match. He's going to go on a, on a shield. And he pretty much just, like, offered himself up to sort of very similar to the uh, I, I love you, I'm sorry moment. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he stood there, kneeled with his arms wide out, waiting for Ishimori to kind of put him out of his misery and told his partner not to interfere and then just, you know, ate, ate the bloody cross and one, two, three. And uh, very emotional. I think all those guys that were involved in that match are friends, him, Gato, and Ishimori, and uh, Masada and all that. So Nice. So, yeah, then after that was the uh, junior matchup here with Furumu Takahashi defeating Amakusa, 11 minutes in two seconds. Both men, uh, junior champions, obviously Hiromu, the IWGP junior heavyweight champion, and Amakusa, the GHC junior heavyweight champion. What did you guys think about this one? It was good. It was a little short, I think. I don't know. Every Everything on this card, aside from the main event, was relatively short, pretty breezy. Um, I kind of expected this to go 15-16, and then maybe Okada, Kiyomiya to go 20, but, um, right. you know, it was... It was good. I mean, it was what you could expect from two guys that are kind of at the top of their at the top of their game right now. Um, you know, Hiromu's got a lot going on. He's got the Junior Festival coming up, and Amakusa's in, uh, involved in that too. So th- there is a little bit of a carryover, and we're we're going to continue some of these relationships. But um, 
yeah, I mean, nothing like mind blowing by any means, but cool to see these guys interact in a singles match for sure. Yeah, um, I noticed that because they had such a short amount of time, they really cut out any sort of like, you know, chain grappling or feeling out process. They pretty much just went balls to the wall from the very get go. Mm -hmm. And I would wager to say this might be the fastest paced match we've seen Hiromu do in years. Not to say it's the best match he's had recently, but because he's had some better ones, but this was very, very high paced. Um, Him and uh, Amakusa uh, apparently when they were teenagers, like traveled and roomed together, like in um, England, apparently, I believe if that's correct. Uh, I was listening to a podcast and they've, they've got long ties to one another and have always, have been angling to work together for quite a while. And you could really tell they had a lot of chemistry here. Um, I think if this match had been given more time, it could have been much better because they were trending to have like a classic type match. Um, but they didn't quite get there. You know, 11 minutes, it's hard to really get to that upper tier. But again, it, the, the night was about Muto anyways, but uh, I can't wait to see these two guys get the ring t- together again because um, I think that there might be an argument that Amakusa's the premier high-flying junior in um, all of, like, Pearl right now. Yeah, he is awesome. Yeah, I was more impressed with him in this match than I was with Hiromu. Not, not, not that Hiromu did anything, you know, bad or sucked or anything, but to me, Amakusa just kind of jumped out of the page. Like, he really grab his opportunity um and yeah he showed out he, his moves are just so dynamic and he's just so fast and some of the cool high-flying dives he does like, i don't even know how to describe like some of the like the dives that he does like he does like, these crazy like almost like a mix of like suicide dives into fosbury flops and he's, he's incredible yeah I, I don't know what to call that middle rope spinning back dive that he does but he busts that out here with very little space and, and luckily um, Hiromu's an incredible base and they just went plowing into the barricade, but uh match was really good. Also um, Hiromu came out sporting a mask that was one of Amakusa's previous uh, characters from, you know, so sort of uh, alluding to their past with one another and, you know, everything like that. So a little bit of a backstory here and then um, hit him with the time bomb and the time bomb too got him out of there after the match. They, kind of shook hands but it felt like this was definitely unfinished business and you know they'll probably work together at some point down the road again yeah i would love to see it i went uh four stars i think four four and a quarter on this matchup which are really fun for the 11 minutes ahead yeah i would probably go like maybe four three and three quarters four something like that then uh after that we had the rainmaker kazuchika okada defeating kaito kiyomiya 16 minutes and 32 seconds this rocked yeah <laughs> like grumpy angry okada is is the best okada um i had a i did not expect this to be how this match went but he okada the whole time the story didn't change right it's not like he got to the dome and his music played and he was like you know what i'm gonna give this guy like a match right and i'm gonna let him think he can win like at no point did anyone think kiyomiya was gonna like pull this one out once once they got to the ring so it it was very fun it was right in line with um how okada had treated kiyomiya in the build-up 
So, I mean, they just they just continued carrying on the story, which, you know, of course, you get a little worried about that. Like, they're just trying to build intrigue that like Okada's just going to show up and they're going to have an Okada match. Right. But right. This hmm. didn't feel like that. So this was one of Okada's shortest like singles matches in, in a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, definitely, I mean, it's just one of his shortest in the dome, too. I mean, right up there with the Jay White match um, from God. What year was that? 2018? Yeah. Yeah um so like up there with know. the yoshihashi match too well the, the four minute <laughs> yoshihashi match. i mean i did i mean i obviously went into the the tokyo dome spreadsheet and, and pulled all that together but um yeah i mean black trunks kind of douchebag okada i'm all in on it if we can get there in the new japan side of things too that could be a really fun run um you know depending on what what kind of direction he takes going forward yeah. I mean, at the beginning of the year, I was advocating that Okada turn heel. I think I was a little outlandish in saying it would take or, you know, occur during the Jay White match at Wrestle Kingdom, which was a little far fetched. But if you recall back then, I was saying he needed to step into like a Jumbo Saruta type role and that would open up a lot more doors. And it's not quite there yet. But I mean, this is a, a little bit of a teaser of what could be if they decided to embrace this persona for, for Okada in New Japan, because this was really awesome. And um, yeah, I loved the match. I think the the beginning of it was very hard hitting uh, from both guys, a lot of stiffness, you know, and kind of hearkening back to what occurred at Wrestle Kingdom night two between these two guys. And then, um, you know, the middle portion of the match, uh, Okada kind of got into a, a rhythm of just busting out his, you know, signature stuff and almost looked like he was going to steamroll uh, Kiyomiya. And suddenly Kiyomiya wasn't having it anymore. And he just went on a tirade and literally like caught Okada off guard and was hitting with with all of his offense. And, um, you know, say what you will. I know some people complained about the, the ending of this match and the way it, it finished, but uh, he gave a lot to Kiyomiya and a lot of opportunity to shine. And, you know, um, he lost strike exchanges to Kiyomiya. Kiyomiya out uh, speeded him and hit him with a lot of big offense. And there was a couple very believable near falls. Um, once uh, Okada realized he was a little bit in trouble, he took things a bit more seriously, hit him with the drop kick. And that's where we got the closing sequence. And they had some really fantastic, uh, you know, closing finish, you know, type uh, reversals back and forth. But ultimately, um, you know, when it really came down to it, he was able to catch the kid with a drop kick and then, the, you know, landslide, hit him with the Rainmaker, looked like he was going to p- put him out and picked him up for the one, two, not so fast. And I think part of what was happening there was that up to this moment, the match was not a squash. The match was actually very competitive and he got kind of got pushed a little bit more than I think he anticipated, speaking of Okada. And so he needed to put an emphatic exclamation point on the match to show that he really wasn't as troubled as maybe it appeared. And that's where he hit him with the Cobra Flosion and, you know, the, another landslide and then hit him again with a uh, Rainmaker to kind of just show, Hey, the kid's not on my level at this point. Um, I think for everybody that was upset about this match, number one, the match was fantastic. And, Give me a 16-minute Okada match any day of the week. I, I I loved this pacing. But ultimately, 
I think they're going to do business again. I don't know if it's going to happen this year. I don't know when it's going to take place, but with all the business ties between these groups, between Bushy Road and Abima and, you know, um, freaking uh, Cyber Agent and everything like that, I think the door's wide open for them to continue to do business once again. And I think we are seeing the genesis of a story where this kid is going to get Okada at some point, just maybe not in this moment. And I understand that some people were upset because they're like, it's the GHC champion losing so cleanly to the IWGP champion. But just in kayfabe, if you really think about it, I mean, Mizawa, when he was coming up against like Jumbo, there was no denying that he wasn't on Jumbo's level. He was the young upstart chasing Jumbo. This feels a lot like Mizawa chasing Jumbo to some extent in my mind. So I, I, I like the match. I, I'm like, I don't know, four and a quarter on it. I thought it was very, very, very good. Isn't that what everyone said about Kiyomiya and Muto too, though? The, the only difference I would say with this is Muto didn't seem to be very giving in the Kiyomiya situation. Um, you know, that seemed to be mostly about Muto than anything else. You know, uh, and again, I'm not an avid Noah watcher. I think if you're, com- not you, Chris, but hypothetically if your complaint is this is a rehash of what they did it's like well i mean the new japan side is just doing the best that they can do given the situation obviously like okada being a you know top of the industry tenure vet is not going to put over kiyomiya clean in the dome in the dome (laughs) um but i think that they did the best that they possibly could in this situation and it does to me feel like if and when Kiyomiya does beat him, it's actually going to be something substantial, not just, a, uh, you know, just this kind of half loss sort of thing that Muto did against him. Yeah, I thought this match was awesome. Like the uh, four and a half star range here. You know, we got a uh, final, you know, big bad boss, Kuchiko Okada here. And, you know, it kind of felt like, you know, the beat the streak mode in, in the, uh, you know, WWE 2K games. Yeah. Like, <laughs> You think it's yeah. sweet. You're getting your offense in on Taker, and then out of nowhere, that that flurry comes. You get the choke slam. You get the tombstone. He puts you out of there. And that's kind of what happened here. Like like you mentioned, yeah, it was somewhat competitive. You know, Kiyomiya got a lot of great offense. He did that that great senton over the barricade. Uh, great German suplex, Tiger suplex. Um, he was working over the arm, uh, the Rainmaker arm, and getting a lot of great offense in. But then. You know that that flip switched, and like you mentioned, that final combo Okada does with that um, that spinning, you know, Emerald Flosion, the the landslide Tombstone Driver, like he just all of it, yeah, yeah. bam, bam, one after another, and just laid Kiyomiya out, and then yeah, just that really that icing on the cake, yeah, lifting him up after um, the two count and hitting him with one more Rainmaker to kind of put that exclamation point, like yeah, I beat you. <laughs> I guess my only question is. For the last couple of years, nobody's been kicking out of the Rainmaker. They've sort of reestablished it as a definitive finisher. What would have been worse if he just would have, you know, hit that quasi comeback, hit him with the tombstone and the landslide, and then Rainmaker one, two, three? Would that have felt cheaper or better than what they ended up doing where he lifted him up and kind of saved him from getting beat by the first one and kind of you know, uh, lengthen it out a little bit. I don't know which is worse for argument's sake. I don't know. Picking him up from something that he clear it didn't look like he was going to kick out of. Right. That's pretty rough. Yeah. <laughs> that's, 
that's pretty rough. I mean, like, I hope it goes somewhere. I love, you know, I love the 16 minutes we got and I like the interactions, but I don't know. You don't see, I mean, that's a, that's like a Jay White level heel move, you know? And then, mm-hmm. you know, I guess maybe the, I think the intention was to create this like false sense of security that maybe now Kiyomiya, like Okada got cocky, maybe Kiyomiya, but he just slapped him with another Rainmaker and killed right. him. Right. <laughs> That's what I was thinking when I was watching it too. I was yeah. like, oh, maybe, maybe, you know, <laughs> at least another sequence, but no, it was like another, just another rainmaker and done. Yeah. But that, that really establishes Okada as enemy number one when it comes to the Noah fan base at this Sure. <laughs> yeah. And if they ever do like another, yeah, crossover show, yeah, Okada's definitely going to be like a top heel for, for the Noah fans. Um, and I felt like, yeah, it's really kind of established Okada and New Japan as also as where they are in the picking order as the top, you know, company in Japan. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week, but, you know, New Japan has nothing to gain by allowing uh, Noah to beat their world heavyweight champion or their junior heavyweight champion. Um, you know, this is kind of also a big favor for Noah to have these, you know, top New Japan guys on this card, also a favor to Muto for his big retirement show so you know they're getting the rub by facing these top stars and Kiyomiya got, definitely got the rub here you know with this you know great matchup with Okada but I think you know it's really kind of sent the sent it home that yes New Japan they're the top our world champion is a man and your world champion is not going to beat our world champion oh and my bad you know I thought we we're moving on to the next topic I realized we, we have a few questions here <laughs> yeah so a few questions uh reddit user okay okay 890 says do you think we'll get any more Okada and Kiyomiya stuff or was this the end I mean you gotta figure they're hoping to do more um mm-hmm. I don't know that Noah would would have Kiyomiya take the loss that way if they didn't have some sort of sketched out future with these two guys but that said different company right like anything can happen Mm -hmm. um this you know this noah new japan thing seems to be working for both companies but noah's gonna noah's got some work to do to keep up and to to keep themselves kind of in that upper echelon right yeah they're not they got they got to sell some tickets that don't revolve around keiji muto yeah well you know um the good news they're doing some pretty exciting things between themselves and all japan moving forward and it seems like there might be the possibility that new japan realizes that you know that they might be in hot water after they lose muto so maybe that's why they're sort of helping them out a little bit um so i'm optimistic to think we're going to see them work together at some point i don't know if it's going to be at like say you know uh the g1 or anything like that necessarily but that would be cool yeah, definitely hoping that they do work together again. I think G1 would probably be the best case scenario because then I'll see you have those guys in the same block. It's a non-title match up again, and it's a, a situation where we've seen Okada lose to several people in the G1, and it's a good opportunity where it's you know just for two points. It's not for a title. It's not a big you know cross-promotional show, and it's something that could lead to a third match where then Okada could get the win back again. I, I think that this could be a potential dome headliner at some point. You know, so that's that's why I'm optimistic about it. Uh, okay, okay. Eight ninety also asked, "Do you think Okada being a dick is the way to go for him against the returning young lions once they eventually wrestle him?" You got to figure. Well, so Yu Yuomura, his last match was against Okada. Um, his last match before Excursion. So you kind of have to figure that 
there's going to be some sort of story when he comes back. So like, he's the guy to watch. Um, I guess the other young lines don't necessarily have much, you know, primary story with Okada. So I think we have to wait for Yuya to come back before we see kind of what that looks like. But I mean, I can't imagine why not, especially if those guys come back and they're over, right? Suji, Uemura, et cetera. Like if the crowd is into them and they look like they're going to be kind of the hot new thing, I mean, what's stopping them from, you know, catapulting them into something with Okada, especially given the the backstory and how similar the backstory is to Okada and Tanahashi. So, Mm. you know, generationally, we keep waiting for them to do another, you know, a re-up of the of the Rainmaker shock. I, you know, I don't know if you can swing it, and I don't know that Okada's in a place that um that it would be all that shocking if someone came back and did that, but um yeah, something to keep an eye on. But yeah, I mean Dickhead Okada is definitely the way to go for returning. I mean, anyone who returns is is a hot baby face for a minute unless they come out with some sort of big angle. So um definitely an an option that would work. Yeah, I mean, this is what I was advocating for in December of last year for the Okada character. I just think it's the natural trajectory. Um, I know it's a little bit more of like an All Japan style, you know, booking pattern. But I mean, if you look at New Japan's aces over over the course of their company's history, they've only really had two guys that have ever sat as that ultimate final unbeatable big boss sort of scenario and that's really going to be either anoki or shinya hashimoto everyone else has been they've had dominant top aces but not guys that were like this is an insurmountable challenge and that's where we're starting to get with okada it's starting to feel that way a bit and um i think that there's just so much more narrative that you can spin when the veterans are kind of facing this new ascended iteration of him and the lions also have this cranky grumpy veteran, you know, kind of like demigod in Okada to beat. I, I think that's the way to go. Yeah. I think it's definitely like you mentioned, like the, definitely the right next step for Okada's career. And we had a, a similar question to here from Hawaiian punch BV. Will Dickhead Okada be great in the jumbo Saruto role when the next generation tries to take a spot? And so I think that's a perfect thing for Okada. You have all these young guys, Umino and, you know, Narita and, Yuya Mora and Yotatsuji, all these guys coming back and trying to claim their spot and become the top stars. And you just have Okada, who's like not ready to give it up. He's still um, in the prime of his career. Just having him just be at this ultimate, just like dickhead final boss, like crushing these guys. And it creates a new narrative. Like these guys are all striving to try and beat this uh, final boss and Okada that like, nobody can topple. I mean, we're talking about Okada like he's old. I mean, <laughs> right, right. The, I'm pretty sure the man is younger than me, and I don't feel like I'm old. <laughs> so and maybe I am, but I mean, I could see this being a cool kind of segment of his career, and then he can, you know, bounce back to doing whatever he's gonna do. So he's got a lot of runway ahead of him. Yeah. So why not? I, I why not? Part, why not have a run as a as a heel? You know. I think part of the issue is he has never really excelled as a underdog sort of you know baby face i think the times where he's had setbacks and he's needed to rebound from it's sort of been the more boring periods of his career whereas like tanahashi can facilitate when tanahashi's had setbacks he's stepped into an underdog you know rebuilding himself role seamlessly uh it's been some of the better stuff he's ever done 
I just don't think Okada is great when that happens. I think him being the, the man at the top of the mountain is better. Yeah, well, I mean, he's just so great. It's it's hard to kind of, you know, want to root for him or like kind of buy into him being an underdog. when You you know how great he is and, like, just how of a phenomenal athlete and professional wrestler he is. So, yeah, it's kind of hard to get sympathy for him just seeing how great he is. Um. Next question, we kind of already touched this. Don Homie 101, will there be a second chapter between Okada and Kiyomiya? Or is it the end? We talked about that. Uh, Rambo and Slam Pig says, do you think we'll see another Okada versus Kiyomiya match this year? Given how Okada won the match, Kiyomiya would theoretically want a chance to get some revenge. If it happens, would you expect a more evenly matched second contest? What kind of stage would make sense? Yeah, I think I think the next match that they do, Kiyomiya would have to be stronger right maybe even if he doesn't win he's got to look a lot better right to keep mm-hmm. himself in the conversation um what kind of i mean i think a g1 run for kiyomiya would be amazing i think that'd be really fun and i love obviously everyone loves outsiders in the g1 right so i think you know everything i've seen this year from new japan is about kind of like right sizing everything after going kind of haywire last year right we had a 48 person new japan cup last year and we had you know four it was i mean that's that it sounds wild but that's true um and we had the four block g1 and everything and i think everything's kind of coming back to being the correct size you know as i start to think about g1 because my brain is 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 going into tournament mode here there's gonna be some guys who don't get who aren't in it probably and I think there might be some interesting guys that are in it. And and you got to figure this Kiyomiya thing's got to go somewhere. But, you know, I hate to be the see how it plays out guy, but that's kind of where we're at. My my only uh, hesitation for Kiyomiya being in the G1 is it feels a little bit sometimes like when someone beats Okada in the G1, they have that asterisk next to it. It's like it was a G1 match. And I don't know if that's going to be... satisfactory enough to really elevate him after the fact. Uh, I personally would like to see him come out at some point and I don't know how exactly you, you book this, but I'd like to see him run up on Okada again, like he did at <laughs> WrestleMania night two and kick this man in the head again. And then we're off to the races, boys and girls. Like I want to see him like run it with him. You know what I mean? I'm, yeah. It, it worked once. Yeah. Do so it again. May do as well. Again. I'm for it. <laughs> Yeah, I think the G1 would be a great stage for the second match and to get Kiyomiya that win over him. I know, like you were saying, Josh, it's kind of like the the asterisk, kind of like it was a win, but was it really like a win? Uh, But I think as long as Kiyomiya is with Noah, like they're going to have to get their wins the way they can. And so I think G1 would be a good stage for him to get the second second match, get the win there. And then, you know, we complain about these New Japan versus Noah shows not having a big singles main event. Well, I think with Kiyomiya getting the win over Okada in G1, maybe for Wrestle Kingdom Night 2 next year, if they do it New Japan versus Noah again, you could do Kiyomiya versus Okada for the main event of that show in Yokohama Arena instead of like a, a multi-man tag or some kind of tag team match. So uh, moving on to the next matchup on the show, we had Tetsuya Naito defeating Kijimuto, 28 minutes, 58 seconds in uh, Kijimuto's last match or i guess technically one of his last matches on this show <laughs> quote their last is in quotes for the whole thing so who knows um i guess i'll start so i loved this match i think that this is maybe not a match for everybody but for me it was something that was right up my alley i think that this was 
probably a masterclass from Tetsuya Naito and getting in optimizing and getting the most out of a severely broken down Keiji Muto that you possibly could at this stage. And um, very, very minimalistic. I mean, uh, everything that they did in the beginning was mostly mat work, but it was mat work that was tied into the long-storied career of Kijimuto. Everything that they did had a purpose, it had a meaning, and it made logical sense for where it was going. And then from there, they really leaned into all the like classic spots of like Kijimuto's career, as well as like nods to their rivalry with one another. You know, eleven years prior, so callbacks to their uh, Tokyo Dome match. And then just other stuff too, like the callback to Hashimoto when he uh, when Muto gave him the uh, DDT and pointed up to the sky, and like the people started chanting Hashimoto, which was really an awesome moment. And I mean, you hear that kind of thrown around a lot, especially by like quote unquote WWE fans that they're like, it's about moments, it's about stories. Well, this match really was about moments and stories and emotion. And um, th- there were two instances where. Kijimuto went to the top rope and, you know, had the perfect setup to do his moonsault, but both times he just couldn't pull the trigger because he's too broken down, like he'll probably <laughs> break a knee or like blow out his body if he uh, attempts to do it. And it's like, if he had been younger, like in the past, he might've been able to get the win tonight, but he just didn't have, he was too slow on the trigger. He couldn't get it done. And um, I loved when, uh, when Naito did the, uh, great Muda thing where he ran down the ramp and then came back and gave him the basement drop kick. All that stuff was really, really, really good. And then, um, you know, ultimately all of the uh, dragon screws and shining wizards that Muto was able to get off, they weren't enough to put away Kiji Muta, or I'm sorry, to put away Naito. He did somehow split Naito open. Both guys had a little bit of blood at different points in the match. And um, ultimately, everything that he was able to to dole out was not enough to put away Naito and Naito gets the uh Destino the one two three very emotional match very very good the crowd was I think the crowd too really elevated this much in the same way that like the Rock and Hulk Hogan at Wrestlemania you you watch that match with the sound off you're not going to like it that much but when you watch it with the sound on it's one of the greatest matches of all time this kind of sits and fits into a similar category you know was it the most dynamic thing you've ever seen? Was it Omega Osprey from Wrestle Kingdom this year? No, but it's probably the best outing that uh, Muto's had since. You know, I, I know people really liked a few of those matches he had in Noah, but I, I felt like this is better than almost all of that. I'm like four and a quarter plus, maybe four and a half. I really, I just thought it was like an excellent, excellent pro wrestling match. It was. Just, I mean, the entrances were a spectacle. The match was kind of a spectacle, but you're right. Like, I think you nailed it. Like, this match was not necessarily about, like, the physicality. It was about the storytelling and, you know, this kind of broken down old man fighting KG Muto. Um, (laughs) 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 I was was waiting for it. It Took a second there. I thought you just messed up the names and then I realized what you did. No, but I mean, like, there's a lot of parallels to the way people see both these guys. And, and you know, eventually somewhere down the line, Tetsuya Naito might be in that Muto space, right? So, but I mean, there was no better stage for this than the Tokyo Dome. There's no better opponent for Muto's, you know, 
I guess, last real match than Tetsuya Naito. They, I think that the booking was was really well done, and honestly, like the match was pretty good I, for for what it was. It was pretty good. It was better than Ric Flair's last match. Mm-hmm. So if it, that's it the was barometer, than the Nakamura match that he had uh, the other month. Yeah, I th- I think they both hit the same kind of mark for me, where it was mostly spectacle. Uh, more physical than I anticipated, you know, things like that. And I think that that's all you can ask for as someone's going out. Someone like Mucho's going out is like, give us everything you got on the way out. And honestly, like as much grief as he takes in some circles, he did, right? He gave everything he could. His, you know, he he was broken down. He was getting wheeled around by Darby Allen. And he still came out and had, you know, a 28 minute match. And that's that's all you can ask for. And my God, the Tokyo Dome looked so good and so mm-hmm. full. And like, it just, it really, really did feel grandiose. And I think Pro- that that production wise, I mean, oh. it, it was WrestleMania level. I know there's a question about the production coming up, but my goodness, if I, I could watch big mm-hmm. Noah shows all day because they yeah. just, they look good. They feel big. They're well presented. You know, I think there's something there and I wish they could get to the point where they could really leverage that. But you know, for a little while there, for a little while now, they've been kind of shooting themselves in the foot with the with the booking and the shooters and all that. But I'm really curious to see where Noah goes from here. And I know I probably said the same thing on the same show last year after, you know, after around Wrestle Kingdom night three last year, whatever, the Yokohama Noah show. But like, I think now they've they've got a clear runway for what they're trying to accomplish. And I really do hope that you know, I hope Noah becomes a, a really established number two because the presentation's so good. Yeah, the production was awesome. That that Tokyo Dome stage looked great, and then just everything with that production just played to this match as well. All the tributes they did to Muto, all his theme songs that they played, like the, the, the video package, and that was so cool. You talk about the story. Obviously, there's a story there with him and Naito, where you know they recommended match of the week last week when they wrestled at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, and Naito, you know, wanting to be so much like Muto, that was somebody, that was one of his heroes, somebody he aspired to be, and, uh, you know, Muto beat him that night, so, you know, it was kind of a, a full circle moment for Naito, another chance to beat his hero in the Tokyo Dome, in this, you know, big main event matchup here, and he got the opportunity, he was able to, to you know, check it off the bucket list and, and beating Muto in the Tokyo Dome, and um, like you're saying, Joss, such, such a good, um, you know, Tribute to some of the other, you know, New Japan legends like Hashimoto, some Chono, the the STF. Like, there's a lot of great. Um, he did the Emerald Flosion. Yeah, Emerald Flosion. So he's doing a lot of great moves from you know people from you know a lot of his great rivals and matches. And so seeing that all play out there, and then you know using his you know the Shining Wizard, which he's been using lately because he couldn't really do the Moon Salt. And so there's so much going. In. And Naito, like the crowd was so against him. They were booing anytime Naito. In control, he had him in that um that figure four um not the figure four that uh that full Nelson leg lock that he does and the crowd just yeah. booing, wanting Muto to get out and they were fully behind Muto all the way, uh, but they said ultimately it was uh, the Destino that puts Muto away and Naito gets to win. Uh, after the match, you know Muto gives Naito the props he doesn't you know run away you know he shakes you know Naito's hand gives him the fist bump and kinda he shook his fist I don't know if you guys noticed that like he had the fist and he like touched the fist and then he went to shake Muto like. Naito's hand, but Naito's hand was still in fist, so he just he just like shook his fist like he was a toddler. <laughs> we've, hey, we've all been there, okay? <laughs> Someone goes for a fist bump, you're going for a handshake. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta sell it, okay? 
then after the match, uh, you know, Muto gets on the, the mic. He's cutting a promo, and he uh, calls out uh, Chono, who's sitting on commentary for this matchup. Asks him to come in because you know Chono never got like, a real, you know, retirement matchup. And so he calls him out to the ring. Says he needs a, needs a referee. Tiger Tori sitting there by ringside. Calls him to the ring, and then they have this uh, one minute and thirty seven second match. You know, quick lockup. Um, Chono hits him with a shining wizard, puts him in the the STF, taps him out. Uh, so Muto's official last match here, losing to Chono, and the crowd ate it up. Big Chono chance. They they loved that moment. So it was a cool moment there for Chono, and a cool little way for the, both of them to go out. Maybe yeah. that's why last was in quotes. I think it, I, I do think that's why last was in quotes. Although you know, conspiracy theorists are going to say it's because it's not really his last match, even <laughs> still, and he's going to continue on. He's got to come. He's got to come wrestle at WrestleMania so he can go into the WWE <laughs> Hall of Fame, right? Yeah. Well, people have gone in that Hall of Fame without wrestling for them, so who knows? But he wants but, a paycheck, uh, though. Yeah. Get the <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I you know I saw a lot of people, especially like New Japan fans, being like, "Oh, they kind of uh." you know, screwed over Naito a little bit, not letting him be the final, final match. But I thought that this really was awesome. I, I, to kind of, because all those guys that, that passed away like Hashimoto and Mizawa, and they were never able to have retirement matches. And Chono never had one. And this is truly the end of the Showa era of wrestling um, to see those two guys go out there and just have a, a fun little, you know, whatever, kerfluffle match and send the fans home happy and share the ring once again together and you kind of think back their whole history with each other it was pretty awesome um so i i thought it was great i really liked it and um yeah this that was a great way to to end a career it's one of the best like retirements of all time yeah uh series of question here from don homie 101 he says did anyone else pop when kijimuto called out chono for a match of course I mean, well, how it was just cool. It was fun. Yeah, the the crowd definitely popped. But where the real pop came in, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but like Chono for years never takes his glasses off. He only ever took them off when he wrestled, and he's always keeping them on, like on commentary. And mm-hmm. when he took them off to let the people know, like I'm serious, like the crowd's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, he, he th- threw the walking <laughs> stick down, put the glasses that way. Yeah, it was, it was cool. Cool moment. Uh, he also asked, which Tokyo Dome show was better, Wrestle Kingdom 17 or Kiji Minto's retirement show? I didn't watch this whole show, so I couldn't tell you. I will tell you this, though. From a presentation standpoint, it's the Noah show without a doubt. But I would probably, just looking at people's reactions and scores, I would wager to, to guess that the Wrestle Kingdom show was the better show top to bottom. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Wrestle Kingdom 17 was a really fantastic. Um, it was a fantastic card, and it was a pretty pretty nice kind of rebirth of the of New Japan too. So, I mean, I can't I can't I I did watch this whole show, and it was good. I mean, it was really enjoyable the whole time, but it just it it wasn't at that level until you got to the retirement match. Really, mm-hmm. uh, maybe the Okada Kiyomiya match. I mean, it did feel big, but it didn't feel that. It didn't feel humongous it didn't the have the big match. fight feel huh <laughs> it didn't have the big fight feel i mean but once muto and and naito started to come out i mean that's where they i mean they clearly put all their eggs in that basket in the sense of presenting those guys as a main event and and that in itself is i mean it's a it's something that not everyone can do and even new japan doesn't quite 
get that right anymore. They don't, they don't, uh, it's, it's almost like New Japan knows that they're big enough that they don't have to make themselves look bigger. Mm. Whereas like Noah very potentially knows that if they present themselves at a higher level, then people will per- perceive them to be at a higher level. And honestly, if freaking it's worked. working. Yeah. So let well, keep, keep doing it and it might get you somewhere. I literally had a conversation with people in a group chat last week and they thought I was being offensive in comparing Noah to like comparatively speaking, putting new Japan in the same like spot as a WWE but in the East and kind of comparing them to like impact level show. And they're like, that's offensive. And I'm like, but the numbers show for the last almost 20 years that that's the case. And they, they literally thought I lost my mind because when you, when you go on wrestle universe and you see how great the production is and you see how, what the production looks for these shows, that doesn't compute, you know, like (laughs) impacts not doing shows like this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But, yeah, I agree. I think Wrestle Kingdom 17 was a better show. I also didn't see the full uh, Muto show. I just saw these big matches that we covered here. But, um, yeah, just based off of, like you're saying, the the match quality and kind of the general perception of things, yeah, I would say Wrestle Kingdom 17 was definitely overall the uh, better show. Um, Also ask, overall thought on the Kiji Muto's retirement show, thoughts on the overall card, or is your match of the night, which wrestler stood out the most? Will we get another Japan Super Show in the near future? I mean, I would like to see another Japan Super Show that's not just New Japan and Noah. Like, you know, let's get let's get some other. I mean, I'll, obviously the relationship's good with all Japan these days, and they're no threat, really, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like they're they're kind of a big indie with a with some history now. Um, but I, you know, I would like to see like a big major festival kind of thing, and and. You know, everyone kind of drops it every now and then. Okano is is always talking about getting everyone together and doing something, you know, almost like Hiromu's junior thing, but for heavyweights or just for everybody. You know, you throw in some stardom and some Tokyo Joshi Pro, and and you've got all sorts of stuff that you can do. So, I mean, do I think that'll actually happen? Probably not, right? Like mm-hmm. that seems like a, it's pretty far fetched, and I don't really know how they would get to it at this point, but. Um, my match of the night was Okada and Kiyomiya. I thought that was really great. Um, you know, but the Noah group looked good. And I like, you know, I think the more we see kind of the current and younger Noah guys, the more I think we're going to really get to know what's what's happening on that side of things. And I really, I do hope this relationship with New Japan continues, if nothing else. Yeah, I think that um, Okada, Kiyomiya would, was match of the night for me also. And yeah, I would love for them to do some kind of bigger, you know, Japan Super Show once again. Like you're saying, with more promotions involved, I think there's definitely room in the calendar. And I think with relationships between the companies right now, I think everybody's kind of focused on just kind of rebuilding the Japanese wrestling landscape after COVID. You know, we're getting cheering fans back. People are allowed to have more people in these venues. We're seeing, you know, this show, Muto Show big Tokyo Dome crowd bigger than Wrestle Kingdom 17. So we're getting to a point now where we're getting bigger crowds as the months go on and COVID's kind of in the back door for Japan. So I think, you know, now's a great time to, yeah, if you want to continue to re- revitalize Pure Rezu and get people excited about wrestling as a whole in Japan, yeah, do a great big super show and have all these big promotions involved, all the heavyweights, junior, the women, yeah, it could be a really great thing. Yeah, I'm not going to add too much more to that. Just uh, I, I did think Amakusa really stood out, 
and had a great showing from for himself from what I saw. I do think the main event was the match of the night for me. I I liked it more than Kiyomiya and Okada even. Um, but you know they they've been doing those uh, cyber agent festivals and those are almost like super shows as it stands already. So like you said, Chris, I would like to see New Japan involved in something down the road with these companies. Um, we'll see. He also asked, with the retirement of Kijimuto, does it feel like a end of an era? How would you guys define that era? Where does Kijimuto rank in that era? Well, it literally is an era. They represent the Showa era of professional wrestling, which is, you know, if you're not familiar, uh, in Japan, they very often will culturally classify eras based on which ruler or which dynasty is you know taking place and so uh, i'm not the full expert on all that but the showa era is the era that these guys kind of all inhabited from like the late 80 mid to late 80s kind of peaking in the 90s and tapering off in the like 2010s um stars such as shinya hashimoto kijimuto nobuhiko takata you know um <laughs> i'm forgetting names jumbo or I'm sorry, not Jumbo. Um, why do I always do this? Who are the All Japan guys? Who are the pillars? <laughs> Kawada, Taue, Mizawa. Uh, Ko- I always, I always can't remember Kobashi's name because I always like mix him up with Jumbo for some reason in my mind. I don't know why. Um, but all of those guys kind of were the top stars during that era, and undoubtedly, Kijimuto is by far the most popular and most famous and most culturally relevant wrestler of that entire era so much so you could probably make the very credible argument that he's the biggest star of our lifetime when it comes to japanese professional wrestling you know putting aside like an enoki or a ricky dozon or a jumbo which kind of predate you know most people listening who are like in the 30-ish 40-ish range that sort of thing um Muto's the biggest star of Japanese wrestling over that whole overarching period. He just is. Yeah, so definitely, I, yeah, end of an era there. I was going to say, any anytime one of these guys goes out, it's the end of an era, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so that that's, that's the God's honest truth. I mean, I was having a discussion. I, I think I want to bring it here. Someone asked, who's the next Japanese wrestler who gets a Tokyo Dome retirement? And Tanahashi. I mean, it's Tanahashi, right? But yeah, is does Tanahashi even? I mean, does he just go out at Wrestle Kingdom like Liger? Or I don't. Or do I don't you think do, so. Do you do your own Tokyo Dome show for Tanahashi? I mean, I guess the the way Tanahashi's talking, it's 15, 16 years out. So <laughs> right, yeah, we'll see. Well, but I think uh, I, Noah he's the only of... one left, right? I mean, he he he's definitely next in line, and I'm mean, beyond that. Who knows what happens? Yeah, I think Noah got the the blueprint for New Japan. I think New Japan could see, all right, they, they did this with Muto. Like, we can definitely do this with somebody like um, a Tanahashi. And, yeah, I think with Tanahashi's influence on New Japan, saving him from the Dark Ages and just his cultural relevance, I definitely think that they could pull off a separate Tokyo Dome aside from the right. kingdom for him. Yeah, you look at the generations between the Musketeers and, and um say Tanahashi and you're not going to find a name, although they're all loved and well-respected, they're not going to bust out of Tokyo Dome retirement for a Yuji Nagata or a Kojima or, um, you know, any of those guys. Tenzan. From that era. Tenzan. 
Um, or even like who's his counter uh, Suwama, you know, from all Japan. Like he was a big star at the same time as Tanahashi. He's not going to get one. Tanahashi's pretty much the only guy that's really ascended to that level of stardom. And tr- truth be told, like by the time Tanahashi was on top, yes, he brought up along a, a boom and he did save the company, but the business that he did in his heyday pales in comparison to the business that new Japan was doing in the eighties and nineties, you know, it de- business was down. Um, I do think it will depend if how long Tanahashi continues to wrestle. And it depends on what his standing with a big company like new Japan even will be at that point. I mean, it's pr- pretty safe to assume that he'll probably still be working for the company and everything, but stranger things have happened. You never know. Like what if he, uh, what if he gets, ousted for some reason there's a management change or something crazy you just never know so even that's not a guarantee although he likely should be the guy that should get it uh this last question here we probably will need a whole episode on this last question but he says with the retirement of kijimuto what will be his true lasting legacy in njpw and all pro wrestling what are some of your guys favorite muto matches of all time and where does he rank among the greatest of all time i mean i always go back to the 91 G1 match with Vader. I love oh, that, yeah, match. that match. It's is awesome. so, it's so good. It's so good. Um, and I'm a G1 guy. I mean, you guys, you guys know this more than anyone. Like I'm G1 is my like favorite thing in pro wrestling. So just that, that match happened in that tournament. It's so good. So that, I mean, that's my recommendation. I think it was August 10th, 91, something like that. Awesome. Find it if you haven't. It's um yeah, I think that it's uh August tenth, nineteen ninety one, yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I mean I, I think that Muto, like I said earlier, uh, I think I kind of gave a brief summation of how big of a star he was and he was the biggest shining star of his era. Um I think that those matches he had with Takata when they did the UWFI New Japan stuff, those are some of the biggest houses and gates in the history of wrestling. I think those will be pretty important. The matches he had with teaming with and against sting in the U S and in Japan were very big deals. Um, the stuff he, when in 2001, when he was crossing between new Japan and all Japan, and he had those matches with like Tenru and, um, Nagata and everything like that. Those are really fantastic and they stand up, um, a lot of them uh the chono final from the first g1 also is up there mm. yeah um the the match with liger i'm actually wearing the shirt from the the muta versus liger um their one-time meeting in those personas the, the famous kishin liger match so there's a there's a lot there what i'll say about muto is a lot of his stuff even from all, whatever 20 years 20 30 years ago it stands up now and mm-hmm. i think that that's pretty cool um pretty much everything that you mentioned you know back to the early 2000s and and even back into the 90s like you watch it and it still feels present day Mm -hmm. which is you know i think a testament to muto and his style i mean he definitely like he's kind of the thread that tied it all together huge trendsetter i mean he invented the shining wizard suddenly everybody in the indies was doing shining wizards he brought back the uh dragon screw leg whip which you know uh fujinami invented that move but it felt it became passe and during that match with uh takata in the um tokyo dome that's where he famously sort of brought it back 
And suddenly, I mean, look at how many people in Pro still do that to this very day. Um, the figure four leg lock, which was a move that uh, for better or for worse, as popular as someone like Ric Flair made it, it kind of just became like a rest hold and a move that people didn't actually win matches with. And then suddenly when he beat Takata with it, people, it became one of the most feared finishing holds in all of Japanese wrestling. And it kind of stood the test of time for a very, very long period. So much so that they were doing believable near falls in this match with Naito based off mm-hmm. of his history using that move. And um, the moonsault, you know, uh, very few people were doing that move. And he's one of the the people that proliferated that. Um, his style of doing the elbow drop. There's just so many things that like, that he kind of innovated or brought to the table that tape traders and people that were watching his work, you know, uh, brought into their games. And it's still, you know, felt to this day all throughout pro wrestling. Yeah. I think he's definitely going to be up there as one of the, you know, the greatest, you know, pure wrestlers of all time. He's even the greatest wrestler of all time, just with his influence uh, in Japan, even in America, you know, growing up as a kid, I remember seeing him on WCW and just kind of that run there. You talk about some of the stuff, the stuff with Sting, but just him like showing up on Nitro uh, with uh, Sonny Ono and you know stuff that they were doing there. And, and the Green Mist, I think he's a, probably the first person I ever saw uh, growing up watching wrestling that, that spat missed out. And I was like, oh, what is this? And it was like so kind of cool. And also we've seen where that has extended throughout, you know, Puro and Japanese wrestling with guys spitting mist and what that means. And so, yeah, I think you'll definitely have, you know, this big lasting effect, this great legacy and be uh, remembered as one of the greatest of all times. Uh, Rambo Sam Pigs said, After watching the Muto Retirement Show, I was struck by how much better the production looks on the Noah Show versus NJPW in terms of cameras, lighting, and streaming quality. Is NJPW's failure to improve these issues holding back their worldwide expansion? Yes. Probably. Yeah, I definitely think that, you know... We mentioned it earlier, but yeah, Bushiro could definitely put some more funds into production, but they probably feel like they don't have to because they are the number one already. I think that creatively, the New Japan production's really good. Like the camera work's still really good. And um, I think the Tokyo Dome looked really good uh, for Wrestle Kingdom 17, which is kind of the most comparable to this Noah show. But man, that Noah stage looked incredible. And I mean, they've been clear that they're going to invest in different cameras and higher end streaming and um, uh, like Western style, like TV apps like Roku and, and Apple TV and things like that. And that makes the product more accessible and anything that makes the product more accessible is good. Plus then if it looks as good as it does, you know, when, when Nova's run on the production, that's that's awesome too and it's gonna get that's gonna be a win for them right Mm -hmm. um while we're on kind of the production side of things let's let's give props to justin nipper for getting the uh your friend and mine for getting the uh the the nod to do commentary on this show i mean i didn't know he did it i I listened i watched the show in japanese so i wasn't actually aware that that took place so (laughs) congrats to justin that's pretty awesome yeah, so he, uh, you know, I don't want to share his his story, but I, I got in touch with him shortly thereafter. I mean, we've been pals for a while. I know he's been on this show too. Um, but he, like, he was there for the show, and he obviously has a, you know, a working relationship with Noah. He does he does some work for them. But yeah, I guess a couple days before, while he was just kind of hanging out in Japan, they asked him to do commentary. So, and, you know, he did a pretty good job. Um, he, well, I, he's, a, I, he's a talker. 
he's he is a talker. <laughs> I could, I, but I could only imagine like getting the getting the uh, the the, inv- yeah. the invitation to do c- your first commentary, and it's the freaking Tokyo Dome for KG Matchless <laughs> match. Like that's wild. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I would absolutely do it, but I don't think I would. I mean. I don't think I would keep my composure. Right. So, I mean, not not like I, I would be like, really now? Like now is the time? Like, can we do a Corkin or something? Like, so, but I mean, good on him. Congrats to him. Yeah, I don't know if that's to gonna be something that continues, but I mean, proud to see someone from you know our our little circle here get a get a cool opportunity like that. Yeah, that's dope. Um, and last question here, also kind of kind of a joke, but also in line with production uh, from Bash is what's with NJPW still using wired mics and Noah has the wireless mics? Is it because Taichi is it only because Taichi is it because Taichi is the only one that can have the wireless mic gimmick? You nailed it. <laughs> well, nothing good happens with wireless microphones, though. So I totally get them just cabling in because as a, I don't I don't trust wireless mics most as of an the time. old touring musician anything wireless was the most likely thing to fail so yeah. and that was that might have been a little while ago but honestly when it comes down to it sometimes you just got plugged in i, I don't have the prolific uh, music career that chris does but i've played a lot of open mics and when there's a wireless mic involved it it's hell like i'm surprised that they haven't actually run into on air issues with that yet yeah Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. All right, now we're gonna uh, shift focus over to Fantastica Mania. Um, so Pokemon. Yes, you gotta love the the Fantastica Mania music. I was actually I was trying to find it without like any like words over it, so we can do like the hit the music kind of bit, but I couldn't find it without like the promo video. Oh, we used to have it. I know, but I can't find it anymore. Oh. Man, uh, that's was, not good. But uh, yeah, Fantastica Mania has been going on. If you guys haven't noticed or been knowing, I know a lot of people haven't been talking about it, but you know, it's the annual tour where CMLL luchadors come over to uh, New Japan. It's the first time since the pandemic that these guys have been able to come over and do the Fantastica Mania tour. There's been a series of shows over uh, this past week. I don't think we're, we're not going to go over each one, all the results. This, I think. this is what it is, Jeremy. It's the tour where the luchadors from CMLL come to Japan and tear the fucking house down every single night. That's what this tour is. <laughs> it's also been rumored that this is their best payday of the year. It, it, it yeah. is apparently. Yes. Yeah. Like it's apparently one of their best paydays they, they, they also sell like so much more merch than they typically would do back home. And, uh, and I think it also really point like 
we've seen in the past that like pushes either get stopped or started based off this tour, both in Mexico as well as uh, guys getting invitations to come back and work Japan down the road as well. So it's a pretty important tour, even if it doesn't play into the overall kayfabe of New Japan and CMLL. Yeah. And we had a question here. I think it's good to kick us off from OKOK890. Who has been your CMLL standout so far, and who would you want to see, if any, return for some tours this year? And Jeremy, you, 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 I've been wanting to do this because I never take notes, but I want to uh, pull a little Dave here. Let me get my notes. Let <laughs> <laughs> me get my notes out. But uh, I do have some notes here. And, um, yeah, I think the guys that have really impressed me the most so far are pretty much most of the bigger names um, that we're pretty familiar with, people that are running at the top of the card in CML. It's like your Templarios. Uh, Teton, Atlantis Jr., Volador, Mystico, Soberano Jr. But for me, the standout, the guy that I like the most, and I've been a big fan of his for a long time, and it's been about five years since he's actually done one of these Fantastic Manias. I love me some Hechicero, the magician. Mm, nice. Yeah, uh, for me, there's a lot of the newer people who are really impressing me. Captain Suicida, uh, I thought he, he's he been raw on this tour. Uh, Magia Blanca, Who's uh, mm-hmm. Vordor Junior's kind of apprentice and stablemate? Uh, he's been super fun to watch on this tour. Uh, Ray Cometa, uh, some, another new guy on on the tour this year, who's been a ton of fun to watch. So, obviously, all the the established guys that you mentioned, I think we already knew that they were great. But seeing some of these new guys come in and kill it have been uh, it's been really fun to watch. You, you forgot to mention Hijo Del Viano three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, him not so much. <laughs> he's been fun. <laughs> He's, he's been okay. Also, but, um, also, I think it's pretty cool. Um, you know, Atlantis Jr., uh, you know, we saw kind of his progression um, kind of taking over his father's mantle and to see where he's at now. Like, he's a big star in Mexico, and he's gotten so much better from the last time we've seen him. Well, when he first showed up on this tour, which was the last time they did the tour in 2020, he was just debuting under the gimmick of Atlantis Jr. Like, it, that was his – he'd been wrestling, but he had been wrestling under that moniker – and now he's one of the top guys in the entire company. He's one, uh, He's the NWA World Historic Light Heavyweight Champion, which he, he just won that title uh, about a month ago from Stuka Jr. And he uh, also holds a singles victory over um, Mystico in a tournament final. So they've really like strapped a, a rocket to his back. Yeah, from what I've been hearing, like he's pretty much been undefeated in singles matches in, in Mexico, and if anybody beats him, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, what I kind of noticed was the first uh, couple nights. So the first two nights, they were really running with this theme of having uh, mix-matched teams, good guys and bad guys, people that wouldn't t- typically team together at the top of the card. Uh, they call that uh, Revelos Increibles. I, I looked it up to figure out how to pronounce that. I think that's <laughs> how you do it. But um, that was like the first two nights. That's kind of what was at the top of the card. And then nights three and four, they did uh, the uh, faction tag team tournament. So in the past, we've seen the brothers tag team tournament or the family tag team tournament. Yeah. Well, they're not doing that anymore. Now they've uh, apparently ever since they came uh, CMLL, since they came back from the um, – uh pandemic they've really leaned more into a faction uh heavy sort of like booking pattern similar to new japan which they didn't have so much of in the past 
And so that kind of allowed them to do a little bit more of that here. So that's what we saw in the last two nights uh, for the third and the fourth night. And then these final two nights, we're getting a lot more singles matches, title matches, and uh, those, those big matches are being t- are taking place in Cork and Hall. So it sort of felt like the first four nights were essentially like road to level shows mm-hmm. leading up to these last two Cork and Hall shows with the Spanish commentary uh, and very similar to like how CMLL books midweek for their shows. They have their midweek shows leading up to a, a big Arena Mexico Friday night show. Yeah. So like you're mentioning, uh, moving on to night three and four, we had those those big interfaction tag team tournament matchups. So and those were semi main main event for those evenings. So on uh, night three, the semi main event, we had uh, the Lij team of Bushi and Teton uh, defeating the team of Dulce Gardenia and Ray Cometa, twelve minutes and forty one seconds. Um, and I really dig uh, Bushi and Teton as a team. I know we've been seeing their work now for a few months now since Teton has become. Uh, a member of LIJ, but I think they work really well together. And uh, real story of this match, you know, Dulce Gardenia, he's what they call an exotico in Mexico. And, you know, he's always trying to, like, flirt with the wrestlers and kiss the wrestlers. So <laughs> he was, you know, really trying to, like, put the moves on Bushi at the beginning part of this match. But the cool thing about Dulce Gardenia is, like, even though he has that exotico gimmick, like, once he, he gets... Can go. Yeah, he can go. Like, one, the match starts off with, kind of, you know, playing around and the flirting and the kissing, but... Once it's, time, it's go time, he's out there flipping and doing all the cool moves as well. Um, so that was kind of the beginning part of the story. And then, um, you know, eventually Bushi and Teton were kind of over to able to overcome the antics and kind of the, the skills of Gardenia and Kometa and get the win here. Yeah. And shout out to uh, Voices of Wrestling. They put out a preview uh, via the Cubs fan. If you're not familiar with him, he runs the Lucha blog. Uh, probably one of, if not the most knowledgeable Western fan when it comes to Lucha Libre. And he put out a really incredible preview via Voices of Wrestling that helped me a lot in, in my enjoyment and understanding of this. So he kind of mentioned how like Ray Cometa and um, Dolce Gardenia, like they're very, very popular and beloved in Mexico, but they're sort of like lower mid card. Like they're not like guys that win a lot, but they're, they always have like the fans behind them. So not surprised to see them lose here to the LIJ team. I think it's really cool to kind of see because um, it hasn't totally been apparent lately how Teton is truly one of the top guys in CMLL. But when you watch night after night, how they've kind of booked him and positioned him, you kind of get more of a, a feel and an understanding that he is one of the top uh, you know, champions and, and stars of this company. And he's been um, the world welterweight champion for close to i think it's like almost 1700 days so you know a long time better than roman <laughs> <laughs> um and then uh, the main event was uh los guerreros de la, de la antaltida Atlantis jr and ultimo guerrero teaming up to defeat uh magia blanca and volador jr 13 minutes and 57 seconds yeah the interesting thing here apparently uh last year there was a kind of hesitant quasi unity between the Guerrero family and the Atlantis family who typically are always at each other's throats and have been on, on opposite sides of the uh, Rudos and um, Technico um, alignment for years and years and years. But for whatever reason, uh, via the storylines that they're running in CMLL, they sort of had to uh, form an uneasy alignment with one or, you know, um, alliance and that sort of ended about four months ago but i think 
the deal here is that like New Japan kind of booked this out months ago and didn't necessarily update what's going on on the tour to reflect what's going on in Arena Mexico currently today. Mm-hmm. So th- that's why they kind of ran with this Atlantis, um, you know, teaming with uh, Atlantis Junior teaming with Ultimo Guerrero sort of deal. Even though realistically, they're not actually a team anymore in Mexico. Yeah, and I think you know. Also, I don't know how much of the New Japan fan base is staying up with CMLL every week. Also, right. they know the stars, but maybe they're not following the storyline. So for them, I don't think it was that that big of a deal to kind of run them here as a team. And they worked well, really. The, the bigger deal, though, is that Magia Blanca is sort of like the pin eater for Volador, mm-hmm. and both those guys are on the quote unquote Rudo side are like big big stars. So <laughs> it, it made all the sense in the world that like they're not losing on this night. Right, especially, yeah, we talked about the push that Atlantis Jr. has been getting, and Ultimo Guerrero, he's always one of the top, you know, guys that comes to this tour, he's super over with the Japanese crowd, you know, he's out there, you know, raising the roof, has the whole, you know, crowd raising the roof, and uh, I think he's always been one of the highlights for me on these Fantastica Mania tours, a guy of his size, the stuff he can do is really incredible, and his uh, strength, the way he catches people out of dives and stuff, it's incredible awesome. base yeah a real great base and just like those um those suplexes that he does off the top rope and the powerbomb off the top rope uh really great stuff uh but Maggio Blanca even though he's the, the pin eater for Voldor I thought he was pretty impressive in this match mm-hmm. uh as well and really enjoyed him uh him and Voldor teaming up together um the next night uh, there uh, was real quick uh, we had a question here from uh Des 253 uh thoughts of Atlantis Jr coming back for best of the super juniors I think he might be too big, to be honest with you. I mean, they could do that. I personally, based on what I'm seeing here, if I were to advocate for anybody to come back, it's going to be Soberano Jr. Oh, yeah. Soberano has improved so much. He's improved so much from the last time we saw him in New Japan. Like, so much. They need to bring him back for Super Juniors. He's the guy. Yeah. So then uh, night four, there was the... um the playoff match for third place in the tag team tournament. So we had uh, Machia Blanca and Volador Jr. defeating Dulce Gardenia and Ray Cometa, 14 minutes and 23 seconds. And then the now, uh, one thing I wanted to make mention of before that, earlier on the night, there was a, a match between Doki, Hechicero, and Templario taking on the team of Desperado, Mystico, and uh, Soberano Jr. That's one of the best matches on this entire tour if you haven't seen that i highly recommend it up to this point it was the match of the turn of the of the tour i'm four and a quarter on it easily and doki picked up a win here which Dude, like shocked me doki has been great on this tour and they've actually been kind of telling this little story between mm-hmm. doki and soberano jr and yeah in the previous match like soberano jr hit that uh springboard like moonsault thing to doki and got the win but here in this match, they did the same spot, but Doki countered the moonsault and was uh, able to pin him. Doki has also been doing, apparently, based on what I read, he's been doing some press over in Mexico, kind of building up this tour, and has been echoing a lot of the sentiments of sort of like the more hardcore indie lucha fans, mm-hmm. um, kind of talking about how like CMLL is sort of like a sanitized, inauthentic version of the real Lucha Libre that he did when he was, you know, <laughs> fighting on the dirt floors and everything like that. And, um, you know, he kind of has this beef that they don't really respect or represent the real Lucha Libre. So, uh, and the one thing I will say out of 
a lot of the New Japan guys that are represented on this tour, they're they're having fun, they're having good matches. He's the only one from New Japan that is going balls to the wall every night and taking the tour very seriously and like performing at the highest levels. Yeah, like Naito and Hiromu have been on the tour, but for them it's been all kind of fun, haha, fun games. But yeah, Doki's out there. He he's not going back. He he respects the lucha, the indie lucha style, but he's not going back to, the, to those uh, indies in Mexico. And he's been showing out. Having some great stuff here with Soberano Jr. There was a match earlier in the tour where him and um uh no, actually I'm talking about Desperado and Kanamaru had a face off, but also Despi and Doki faced off too, now that they're no longer a part of Suzuki Goon. So the crowd was really into those interactions. Uh Despi facing off against Kanamaru and Despi facing off against Doki as well. Um so yeah, the interaction tournament, third place, yeah. Um Machia Blanca and Volder Jr. beat Dulce Gardenia and Ray Cometa, and then the finals of the tournament was Atlantis Jr. and Ultimo Guerrero defeating Bushi and Teton 16 minutes and 16 seconds. So Ultimo Guerrero and Atlantis Jr. are the winners of the Interfaction Tournament. Most star-studded uh, team in the tournament, so it makes a lot of sense. Uh, have you also noticed how every night they're having Atlantis Jr. walk through the crowd and mm-hmm. sign autographs? And they're really like playing up the fact that he is like the big to-do amongst like the fans you know on these tours the guy that everybody wants to get to know and and meet which i i think has been a pretty cool presentation yeah and he's had um, like new gear each night too and he just come off like a real big star almost all the luchadors have had different gear each night like the, you could tell that they're pumped up for this tour more so than usual yeah so that brings us to uh night five uh which was the uh today's show uh, the 27th uh from jeremy i gotta tell you right now Show of the year contender. I don't for New Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not gonna blow it out of proportion how good this was and say it was better than it was, but I mean, this early in the year, it's you know, February. This to me personally is probably the second best show behind Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, you know, all these Fantastic Mania shows have been really easy to watch, they've all been like two hours or two and a half hours, six, seven matches per card. They've kind of breezed by. There's like a, a small intermission. Usually before the semi-main and main, you can skip that intermission and save some time. But these shows have been all been easy to watch, especially like you mentioned, today's show was awesome. And here's where we got some more of the you know the bigger singles matches. So on the show, we had uh, Ultimo Guerrero uh, defeating Captain Suicida in the third match of the night, 10 minutes and 17 seconds. Uh, I went... I went four and a quarter on that. I loved that match. And that's a, that's a match that had no build, no story. These guys don't even interact in Mexico with one another. But I think uh, putting uh, Capitan Suicida in there with Ultimo Guerrero is sort of like a litmus test to see how he does, to see whether or not they want to bring him back. Because he's kind of facilitating that Fuego spot on this tour. Mm, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he looked great, and then there was a great spot where he goes for the big, you know, Tope, and Ultimo catches him and powerbombs him to the outside, and Oh, yeah, I've seen him do that in Arena Mexico a few times, but it, it was nasty to see that in Corican. Yeah, and the cool spot, you know, Ultimate Girl, he's, he's a bigger guy, and there's a cool spot where he, like, he jumped up on the rope, and Kevin Suicido was like, how did he, how did he do that? Yeah, <laughs> um, he was looking uh, looking like, uh, what? who's the who's the dude that walks the ring ropes? Uh, uh, Graham Metalik. Yeah, like Graham Metalik, it was pretty cool. Yeah, so yeah, that was uh, an awesome match of their Ultimate Guerrero getting the win over uh, Capitan Suicida. Um, and then the other singles match, we had uh, Voldor Jr. defeating Templario in the semi-main event, 14 minutes and 25 seconds. I'm four and a quarter on that one. Loved that match. Just a, a high-level 
athleticism, you know, showcase of, you know, high flying luchador. It was, is like a, I, I don't even know what the right word is, but it was really incredible. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why they call Volador the Skywalker. Like, this guy does some incredible uh, high-flying stuff, and for years now has been one of the, the highlights of this Fantastic Mania tour in the relationship with CMLL, one of the top guys that comes over. And also, we know the, the rivalry that he has going for our good friend Rocky Romero uh, right now in CMLL as well. Uh, but yeah, Volador absolutely killed it. Templario looked really good in this match as well. They had Templario beat him in a clean fashion in a tag team match earlier on the tour as well, leading up to this. So there was a little bit of a backstory there too. Yeah. Um, And then the, the main event for the CMLL world welterweight title Teton successfully defended the title against Soberano jr. 12 minutes in four seconds. Jeremy, if I told you I went four and a half on a 12 minute match, would you say I'm crazy? (laughs) I, I don't know if I'm that I'm I'm probably more four and a quarter, but I can see you going four and a half. As soon as the bell rang, they went balls to the wall. Uh, big suicide dive right after the bell rings, and these guys were flying all over the place. This is what's missing from best of the super juniors the past few years. This match just fucking ruled. It was like a high flying car crash. I, I know we got to get into some other stuff. I don't want to waste too much more time, but I'm telling you guys, if you haven't seen this match, Teton versus Soberano Jr. Twelve minutes. Do yourself a favor. Go watch that match. Yeah, it was an awesome uh, main event there. Great defense of the title for uh, Teton. Uh, and so Ron Jr., like we were saying earlier, he looked great in this matchup. You know, the last time he was in Super Juniors, there's a lot of people who were kind of ragging on him and kind of asking why he was there. Well, he definitely belongs in the best of Super Juniors uh, now. Just he's gotten so much better in the ring. His high flying, some of the stuff he did in this match was just incredible. Um, and so the, the, the Fantastica Mania Tour will uh, finish up tomorrow on the 28th. Uh, you got uh, Kosei Vegeta and Magia Blanca versus Capitan Suicida and Yuta Nakashima. Tiger Mask versus El Hio de Bayano 3. Tanahashi, Rei Kometa, Oiwa, and Kojima will take on Bushi, Hiromu, Naito, and Teton. Okamura will take on Dulce Gardenia. Hitachero will take on Soberano Jr. We'll have another one of those Revelos Incredibly. Incredible, 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 I can't even say it. <laughs> I couldn't pronounce it for the longest time either. The Incredible Rivals match, the six-man match, uh, Desperado, Templario, and Voldor Jr. taking on uh, Barbaro, Cavanario, Master Watto, and Ultimo Guerrero. And then the main event will be Mystico versus Atlantis Jr., which they did build up on today's show uh, after that uh, tag match. There was a, a post-match angle where uh, Mystico... Uh, hit a big dive on Atlantis Jr. and they both were kind of you know, holding their belts up, and so yeah, a big match. Well, that, that's the cool thing. They are two world champions, and it's a non-title match. And Mystico is the world, the historic world middleweight champion, and Atlantis Jr. is the historic world light heavyweight champion. So um, it's going to be, and basically, I think Atlantis Jr. is the man to usurp Mystico and kind of fill his spot in the very near future. So. Um, I do expect Mystico to go over on this night because they typically send the fans home happy. And uh, Atlantis is kind of playing a quasi Rudo on this tour, but um, that that's almost like a, a generational passing of the torch type of situation there. So that's and I mean they've been alluding to it all week. Uh, Atlantis Junior did pick up a, a submission victory over Mystico earlier on the tour in a tag match, so that's probably your dead giveaway that Mystico is going to win here. <laughs> yeah. A um, couple other things, though, the Akamura-Dolce-Gardenia match, they had a big post-match brawl and, and 
shouting match. So they kind of put a little heat on that. And all week, Tiger Mask and El Hijo Del Viano 3 have been going at it, trying to unmask one another. That has probably been the nastiest little mini feud of the entire tour. Yeah, he uh, ripped so, off Tiger Mask's mask. On numerous occasions. Yeah. So uh, I, I think Tiger Mask is going to pick up the victory and also uh, unmask Viano 3 at, at some point, probably post-match. And, um, you know, that that tag match, or Hetchy Cero versus Soberano Jr. looks really really good too so um and they're gonna go all out it's the final night of cork and so i would say if you haven't been watching this tour you just want to cherry pick that six man tag i mentioned on night four and then the three singles matches from today's show are definitely well worth your your time to go check out and i would say probably tune in for the last night because that's usually the big night where the big matches and the big performances take place and i'm at the point now where i wasn't even excited for this tour but after watching it all today i'm all in and i'm very excited for tomorrow's show and um it is amazing that there's literally no one else like reviewing this shit (laughs) hardly (laughs) at all and it's it's been so good so yeah it's been fun so uh now we'll uh move on you know speaking of high flying we'll talk about the all-star junior festival that's uh coming up i believe that is uh march 1st so this week for that uh Hiromu Takahashi uh, Produce Show, which will be a uh, pay-per-view on New Japan World. We got the the match card here. Uh, the match order is going to be determined by entrance music on that night. So there was uh, some mistranslation at first with the, the English uh, card that got put out on the English site. Cause they, they had uh, Wato in, in the main event, but Wato is not in the main event. The, the match order is unknown, so it'll be... Uh, a mystery vortex kind of thing with the with the match order uh, the night of. Uh, I don't believe that. I think we're going to see big match Watto versus Aoyagi. Let's <laughs> run it. That's what's going to headline a main event in any building in the world. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, so we, we got the the card here. So it's going to be a uh, a match to support uh, Shinjiro Otani um, tag match here with uh, Takaiwa Kanamaru. Jun Kasai, Minoru Tanaka, and Takamichi Noku taking on uh, Musashi, Kitamura, Leona, Shoki, and Sekafuda from uh, BJW. So I'll be that matchup there. We're also going to have uh, Kodaka and Mao taking on Sho and Unryo. Uh, Master Wato take on Ayagi from uh, All Japan. It's going to be a five-way match with uh, Taiji Ishimori taking on Soberano Jr., taking on Shun Skywalker, taking on Ninja Mac, and Yohei. Then I a, didn't realize Ninja Mac made it on the show. That's sick. Yeah, it's, that, that match is going to be dope. Uh going to be a three-way tag match. We're going to have uh, Desperado and Volador Jr. Uh, teaming up to take on Lindemann and uh, Yuino. And the Japonis, Los Japones del Mal team of Doki and Hanaoka from Secret Base. <laughs> <laughs> don't know what promotion that is. Uh, it's the Secret Base promotion. Secret don't base. Know about them. Uh, it's what it says. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Taguchi will uh, team up with uh, Hikaru Sato and uh, Yumihito Imanari. And they nice. will take on uh, Great Sasuke, Tiger's Mask, and uh, Batin Bura Bura Bura. Then there's going to be a. My name is Tiger's Mask. 
what are you doing, bro? There's already a tiger mask. It's different. It's tiger's mask. I'm, pl- it's not I'm the plural. <laughs> there's <laughs> uh, there's going to be an eight-man masked tag match with uh, Mystico, Billy Ken Kid, Alejandro, and Guru Kun Mask taking on Dragon Kid, Bushi, Atlantis Jr., and Black Mensore. And then Hiromu Takahashi will team up with Vegeta Jr., Hayato and Amakusa to take on Hayata Yamato and Kazuki Hashimoto. Yeah, I've got to imagine that that's likely the the main event, uh, probably, but that remains to be seen. But uh, a lot, of, a lot to unpack here. I mean, I think one of the positives is you have so many different people from so many different companies getting all these looks that it's kind of fresh and exciting but on one of the negatives is you have so many people from so many different companies i don't know if that's necessarily a draw because you don't know who who these people are one way or the other so you're kind of banking on the idea of intrigue and and novelty to kind of attract people in an audience but uh, i mean i i know some of these names but i mean even the most knowledgeable pro head's not going to know most likely all these wrestlers i don't know most of them <laughs> Yeah, I was. I mean, I was talking to someone recently, and they they're excited for this show, but they also said it's kind of an indictment of like the junior level at in in Japan right now. Like, there's some names on here for sure, but like, what's exciting? Right? I, I like, di- I disagree. Okay, but I, <laughs> I'm 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 sharing uh, an anonymous person's. Uh, opinion so and right i because i agree with it to some extent because even uh, the heavy if, if you gave me a list of heavyweights this this number of heavyweights from these these companies i'm probably going to recognize 90 percent of them possibly i mean and junior wrestling has always been presented at a lower level by and large in japan anyways and probably just in wrestling in general but um I got to tell you, I think that it's not necessarily an indictment on junior wrestling across the board, because if hypothetically New Japan and uh, Dragon Gate and Noah and All Japan decided to just dominate this thing and stack it up with their rosters, there's plenty of quality juniors that do exist out there. I think the, the difference is, is that they kind of tried to sparse out the amount of like participations that those bigger companies have and allow some of the like a secret base or a 666 or what have you and i think that's part partly because i think it's just um part of like uh hiromu's vision to kind of give a showcase to smaller companies and sort of have like a like something that's all-inclusive that allows all of these other groups to participate even if realistically they probably shouldn't be because maybe they're not at the same skill level they're still putting some spotlight and shine on them which i think is in some ways a positive oh it's it's a super positive and and to be clear when this show is announced this is about the card that i imagined you know like obviously i'm not like picking you know names out of a hat like this but like this is the type of card that i imagined that we would see so i'm i'm excited to check it out i'm excited to see the kind of you know, 
what they do with it. I mean, who gets their shine? Who's surprising, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't really know who who to look out for, right? I mean, there's all these names that I am familiar with, but um, I hope someone who pops up and and um, surprises me too. And it's 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 neat that they did it in a way where some of these CMLL guys can be on it too. And I I kind of hope that leading to probably May and best of super juniors, like this is kind of the talent pool that we're, that we're working with. And maybe you see some of these guys pop up on a, you know, a proper new Japan tournament. Yeah. All of these guys should treat this as a, as a big tryout for super juniors and should go out here. If you're a non new Japan guy on this show, like go out there and absolutely kill it. So that you got bring back um, in May for uh, best of super juniors. Um, I think for me, looking at this card, the two matches that stand out as being something I really want to see, uh, number one is probably the five-way match, Ishimori against Soberano, against Shun Skywalker, against Ninja Mac, against Yohei. That sounds incredible. That's one of the few matches that on paper I'm like, that sounds incredible, Um, especially since I know all those wrestlers. (laughs) And then uh, the other one is, I like the three-way tag. Uh, Despi and Volador against Lindemann and Yuki Ueno, and then uh, Doki and Haneoka. I don't know him, but I love Doki. So uh, I think that that one's going to be interesting. And one thing we didn't touch too much on during our um, Fantasca Mania uh, review, there's been a couple instances on this tour where we've seen Desperado and Doki face off in tag matches for the first time post lij split or not i'm sorry suzuki goon split so uh we're gonna see them against one another here again in this match and i i think that's gonna be really good yeah that'll be fun that kind of dives into a okay okay 890s question what match and wrestler are you most looking forward to seeing on the all-star junior festival and i agree with you i think that five-way match is probably going to be uh the match of the night um you know ninja mac i'm really looking forward to seeing him he's absolutely awesome we saw him for the first time um during you know pandemic WrestleMania weekend here in Tampa out outdoor in Ebor, he's just out here flipping <laughs> in the middle of Ebor City, and he was just absolutely incredible. And he's been killing it ever since then, doing great stuff in, in Noah's junior division. He's just such a dynamic guy, can do some crazy flips. So he's gonna what, be really what's, fun. What's the move that um that him and Ricochet do? It's not the four fifty. It's like the next level up. The uh, six thirty. Yeah, it's like he's casually doing 630s to the outside on a group of people. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Why? You're an Ebor, bro. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I think this eight-man mask tag will be pretty fun, too. Um, oh, yeah. I, I love Dragon Kid. Dragon Gate's kind of my second uh, Japanese promotion that I, I actually pay close attention to. So um, Dragon Kid's great. And then obviously the five way is going to be cool with Shun. I mean, Shun Skywalker is incredible. If we get mm. big match Taiji Ishimori, we're going to have a really good time. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's that's going to be a really cool match. And I hope that gets some some time for all five of those dudes to get some shine too. Um, the Haruma match will be cool too. I mean, we've got Yamato in there and Amakusa. Like you, you're kind of going back to some of the some of that stuff that we saw at the Noah show too. So. That'll be there's there's enough on here that that wets my palate and makes me want to watch it for sure. I know the broadcast team is very nervous about keeping up with who's who and what's what. So um, they uh, I'm sure they will do a great job. But that's that's the that's the read of the room right now. Mm. 
Yeah, and there's also, like, I also like that they have a few, like, veterans that we haven't, or, you know, they're still active in their promotions, but they were on bigger stages in the past, and maybe we haven't seen in a while, like, Junior Hayato, he's probably going to be in the main event. He's a guy that I've always liked a lot. Um, Minoru Tanaka. Yeah, Minoru Tanaka, Tetsuhito Takaiwa is coming back, and I don't think he's worked a New Japan show in in quite a long time, so... There's there's some really cool stuff on this show. Um, I I'm just curious to see how it does, being the fact that it is a pay per view, and you know Noah has shown that you can do really incredible business on a streaming model with pay per view or non pay per view, if it's a big big show with a big draw. But this is essentially kind of like a a dream produce show. I don't know if it's got enough like oomph to capture people's, you know, imaginations like that to garner the uh, the buys that they might be looking for for something like this, and um, you know, maybe that leads into another conversation that we haven't had on the show. I know, we haven't been steering away from it, but I know it's been coming for a long time. We just keep forgetting to talk about it, but it's like you're seeing more and more and more pay per views, both in the u.s and domestically now for new japan and it's starting to get to a point when is that going to where's where where does that end you know because i can see one day them charging for like a wrestle kingdom or a g1 final or something like that and it's starting to feel i don't know not good <laughs> <laughs> well i think the thing is you know they're, they're seeing you know their sister promotion and stardom who's doing pay reviews like, you know, every other weekend at this point and are doing great buys are making great revenue. And, you know, Rocky said that the U S pay reviews are, they do good buys on, on fight TV with that. So, and I think AEW has been another success story of that too, showing that, you know, pay review is still alive and well. Um, it's not just about streaming. So, I mean, unfortunately for us, uh, you know, that means that we have to pay more for some of these bigger shows, but it does seem like there's still a, a pay review audience and, uh, Stardom's been able to capitalize on that, and and now it's like New Japan is trying to capitalize on it as well. Have they done a paper? They haven't done a pay per view for anything in Japan that doesn't involve other companies, though. Is that correct? No, they haven't. But okay. I mean, it's starting to feel like those are soft test runs for a potential. And I mean, we don't have any inside information about this, but it just feels that way. Like they've done it for the Stardom show. They've done it. They're doing it for this show. They've done it for the. Uh, the, the produce JTO shows with Takataichi Mania and all that. And it just feels like, and then that's all on top of all the US pay per views, which admittedly, Battle in the Valley probably was worth a pay per view buy. But prior to that, they've been doing them quarterly for shows that didn't really feel worthy of a pay per view buy in the US, personally, just my opinion. Yeah. I mean, that's a fair opinion. <laughs> So I'm 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 getting to the point where I'm like when when do they like pull out the stop and be like hey <laughs> we're doing a dome show in the middle you know Dominion we're doing a dome show and it's on pay per view this year bigger than ever and it's like damn I don't want to do that <laughs> well, the exchange rate's still good so that's true <laughs> but I I feel like that's where this is headed and I don't think that there's anything stopping them from potentially going that way. And um, I think that this show is another, you know, potential mile marker to that destination. 
It's possible. I, I don't know anything. I haven't heard anything either. Um, I just, I, I don't think, I don't think they would make their product more inaccessible than they already do um, for some of the core stuff. Right. Like Wrestle Kingdom is what gets people to sign up for New Japan World. Yeah. And New Japan World is a huge piece to the puzzle of their business and their partnership with TV Asahi. So I I can't imagine I can't imagine a scenario in the near future that they go like pay-per-view for Wrestle Kingdom. Though I mean the one thing I will say is that it wouldn't surprise me if like English language ends up a paid mm. feature. I mean right. that's kind of what the fight situation was. So um I don't I don't think that'll be the case, but that it wouldn't really shock me. I think the business that they've been doing over Noah with this Kijimuto retirement tour might, you know, influence that to go the opposite way though, personally, mm -hmm. because if they've shown that if you have a big enough draw and something that people really want to see, and you put it in a big building, like the Tokyo dome, that, instead of getting those people to sign up for your streaming service, you can charge them for the pay-per-view just like AEW does quarterly and it'll sell. And they might look at that and weigh the pros and cons and be like, yeah, why don't, what's better, you know, uh, reoccurring nine ninety nine a month that maybe they can cancel at any time or, you know, $40 from, you know, that they're going sure. to hundred percent pay because it's wrestle kingdom. And I feel like that's what's going to happen. I don't know. It's just my gut instinct. I don't know. There was a lot of pride uh, with some of those Wrestle Kingdom numbers, subscriber numbers and stuff. So that's that true. Was, that was really big. And they 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 made sure that people heard about it, too. So I I'm a, I'm an optimist. Right. So um, <laughs> so I, I have you know, I just I just don't think that that's the direction they're going to go. But on, you know, on my end, I, I'm paying like less than eight bucks a month to to get my favorite wrestling right now. And, um, you know, if, if I've got to fork over a 20 spot occasionally for for something cool, I'll, I'll probably do it. Yeah, I think it's going to be a delicate balance because like you're saying, you know, also getting subscribers to New Japan World is definitely a, a big goal and something that they continue to do every year. Like you mentioned, every time there's big numbers, they always, you know, throw out, yeah, you know, 100,000 subscribers, as many active, as many minutes watched kind of thing. And so... I think they definitely will still want to grow that base, but at the same time to kind of dip into this pay-per-view model and getting some, some money there. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to kind of watch how that grows and how that kind of continue to balance that. Uh, but last thing here, before we move off of the all-star junior festival from Don Homie 101, um, is this the beginning of more all-star junior shows? I think it could very, very potentially lead to something like that. I mean, we've seen in the past where, They've done like, say, all together shows, you know, in the wake of like natural disasters and stuff like that. And um, those didn't persist. We saw a couple of them and then they kind of just phased out. But with the trend kind of changing recently from these companies being like isolationists and kind of moving to a more harmonious, you know, interconnected working uh, relationship type of situation there's no reason necessarily that we couldn't see something like this again down the road or more participation from domestic companies when say 
a Super J Cup or uh, Best Super Juniors is on the horizon. So I think that, like you guys said, this is like a tryout for a lot of these talents to sort of showcase who they are and make a name for themselves. And um, they should all go in with that mindset, expecting that maybe down the road, this opens doors one way or the other. I would love to see a proper one night Jacob. Mm. Um, Mm. That would just be so much fun. Like that would get, that would definitely get me to fork it over if it's a pay-per-view and it would be so, but that that's the thing I want to see. I want to see like something with some stakes. This show is cool the first time, but I don't, I don't know how, how many times can you kind of pull something like this at this level with this type of card without, I mean, it's kind of like you go back to how they, how new Japan did the first, um, Noah Yokohama show, like not much to sink your teeth into on that one. And then the second time you come back and then you've got this LJ um, Congo thing going on. And that leads to the Mudo show, right? Like, I think we could we could see that type of progression with a show like this. But this is also just kind of a Hiromu produce thing. So it's not necessarily like company driven. But um, that's not to say something like a Jacob couldn't be. Well, if they're smart, they these different companies should work with New Japan and work with Hiromu in the sense of saying like, Hey, I know that maybe like there there is an opportunity for guys to come back down the road, but what if you let guy from X company and guy from B company work an angle on this show, and then it leads to something between these two smaller promotions, you know, maybe like a Michinoku Pro and a Ganbari Pro, and then they they can do business with one another off of the heels of working the show. I think that that's something we should definitely be on the lookout for. Is potential interwoven storylines between different companies which you know almost sounds like fan fictionist but this show is almost fan fiction the fact that this many companies are working together is outlandish so i'm kind of expecting some outlandish shit to come out of <laughs> yeah but I, i'm i agree with you chris i definitely think the next step would be do something cool like a, a one night super j cup or if you did some other kind of one night junior tournament kind of thing aren't they usually like two nights the j cup has been the the last few has have been like two or three, three nights. Yeah. One one of them was pandemic. Um, one of them was kind of West Coast America, where they started in Seattle and they ended in San Francisco. Um, that was oh, probably yeah. 20, 2019. <laughs> that was one of the ELP one, right? Uh, yeah. well, he won Both two in a row, two right? Row, yeah. yeah, yeah, the gold jacket. Yeah. Um, but I mean, legit, I think the coolest thing they could do would be a single night Jacob, like really old school style and a lot of short sprints and, uh, you know, a really good main event. I, I, that'd be a killer show. Yeah. But I think even like the 94 one, wasn't that two nights? It was first stage and then second stage back to back. I think it was, I could be I wrong. Know, it's, all, it's all on one VHS to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right, well, uh, let's move on now to talk about New Japan Cup. And for, you know, for you guys who are new to New Japan, the New Japan Cup is New Japan's version of March Madness. And speaking of March Madness, a friend of the show, the Discord daddy, MJ Does PR, uh, guest on the show, he's uh, running a NCAA March Madness tournament, uh, Social Suplex March Madness. So if you uh, join our Discord channel and go to the uh, the NCAA uh, channel within our Discord, uh, the link is there to that. Uh, so shout out to uh, Discord Daddy MJSPR for 
running that. So if you're a big uh, NCAA March Madness fan, you can uh, join that tournament. But uh, let's talk about uh, the new Japan Cup 2023 and uh, start off here. Before we do, I was wrong. The first Super J Cup was one night only. (laughs) There you you go, Chris. Knew it. (laughs) I thought so. But I wasn't sure enough to battle you on it. <laughs> I wasn't sure either. That's why I was asking. <laughs> um, we had a question here from Dom Homie. I thought we good to kick us off. He says, uh, "Any bold predictions for this year's New Japan Cup?" And we we got the bracket here in front of us. Uh, so on on the left side, we got uh, Sonata and Taichi with uh, Kenta getting a buy. Naito versus ELP. Chase Owens getting a buy. Renderita versus Evil. Uh, Jeff Cobb getting a bye, Yano versus Mark Davis, and Will Osprey getting a bye. On the right side, we got Yoshihashi versus Kyle Fletcher, with Hiroki Goto getting a bye, Shingo Takagi versus Aaron Hanare, Tamatanga getting a bye, David Finley versus Tomohiro Ishii, with Great Okan getting a bye, and Umino versus Yujiro Takahashi, with Zack Sabre Jr. getting a bye. My bold prediction is that the final four will feature. Four wrestlers who have never won the New Japan Cup. Oh, that's a good prediction. Um, mine is that Tomohiro Ishii is running through this shit. He will be <laughs> the winner of the New Japan Cup 2023. <laughs> it's his time. Let's uh, oh, fucking man. go. Yeah. Completely ignore the David Finley promo. Yeah. Uh, after the Jay White match. He's losing first round. <laughs> He's yeah. going out in the first round. <laughs> Grand Okan is losing. <laughs> then Zack Saber Jr. is going to get his ass beat by Tomohiro Ishii in under 15 minutes, and it will not lead to a title match, like because Ishii's passed the TV title. And then after that, he's going to beat Shingo, and then after that, he's going to beat uh, Will Osprey. You know that sounds like a great run. So <laughs> you sold me because that's a that would be a cool that would be a pretty good path there. <laughs> My, uh, that's not that's not happening. He's losing <laughs> first round to David Finley. <laughs> It'll probably be sweet though. My bold prediction uh, is uh, El Fantasmo is gonna beat Tetsuya Naito on March fifth, and he's gonna go deep in this tournament. He might even win the tournament and and claim the the leadership of Bullet Club. I agree with you. I think he is gonna go deep in the tournament as well. Yeah, that's my lock, actually, is Phantasmo makes it to the Final Four. Yeah, it's not that bold, Jeremy. We all know that. <laughs> everyone, everyone that follows this company knows what's happening. I know. I feel well, like here's a, the thing. Naito, Naito went on a streak at some point where he lost three first-round right. Japan Cup <laughs> matches in a row. And then last year, he was in the final. But now he's just going to go back to losing in the first round again. El Phantasmo was the perfect person to beat him. And then have some weird, wacky match with Chase Owens. You know, Bullet Club, uh, Civil War, blah, 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 blah. Who knows? And then probably, I don't know, Taichi. Like, El Phantasmo's path to the Final Four is pretty clear. It is It is funny that, like, Naito is going from headlining the Tokyo Dome and retiring a legend to potentially losing to ELP first round of the New Japan Cup, r- yeah. like, right off the heels of it. Not even first round. First night. First night, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, just like, boom, you're gone. I mean, the- I- I'll actually be more surprised if Naito wins. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you got to get people over. I mean, Naito can afford a loss, and he'll be just as popular. He'll be fine. But 
I, I think, you know, people have been asking us, you know, who do you elevate? Abushi's gone, Jay White's gone, like all these spots are gone. Who do you elevate? Well, I think it's been very clear that Al Fantasmo is somebody that they're invested in. He's been getting some big uh, spots and moments, and, you know, he's elevated heavyweight. He's had the feud with uh, Tam Tonga for the Never title. So I think now's the time, especially with a, a Jay White gone, and you're, you're looking for more top heels, you know, Bullet Club is looking for a leader. I think now is the time to pull the trigger. You have Phantasmo beat Naito, and then one night you've created, um, you know, another main adventure. You can do a lot of cool stories with Phantasmo going forward. There's somebody worth elevating in every quadrant of the bracket, and I think that that's what's kind of neat and something interesting yeah. to keep an eye out, right? Like El Phantasmo in the top left, Red Narita in the bottom left, Kyle Fletcher in the top right. And uh, we'll probably come back to that and Shota or David Finley or both or great Okan in the bottom, right? I mean, the bottom right is stacked with kind of new up and comers. You forgot so, Aaron Hanare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I agree with you, Chris. And I think it's, um, I think it's also interesting because while you see those guys that can definitely be utilized to be elevated all throughout the tournament. So there's a lot of fresh blood. There's a lot of other guys that just have other things going on, like how we pointed out Naito coming off of a big win and people thinking, I mean, there's some very smart individuals in the space that think that he's getting poised to go on a monster run here in New Japan. And who knows, maybe this is part of that. Maybe it's not. We don't know. We don't know what's going on with Sonata and his losing streak and how that might play into this. Is this just be more of the same or are we going to see something occur there? What's going on with Shingo? There's a lot of like, established guys that have their own narratives going into this. And I feel like in the past we've seen new Japan cups where there, there were established stars, but there weren't necessarily these, these many running narratives entering into the tournament. And it's making this one a little unique. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Kyle Fletcher, Chris on on, on the top right there. Cause I think we're going to see a story there of him beating uh, both tag champions to get, get him and Mark Davis a towel match. So he'll beat Yoshihashi on March 10th. Go, uh, meet Goto on March 12th, beat Goto, then go, move on to March 18th. Which I'll probably... Oh, I, didn't even, I didn't even think of that. You guys are... Uh, you're on it. <laughs> would either be then probably Shingo or Tamatanga, and either one of those is great. Mm-hmm. So I, he's a guy that I know New Japan has always been really high on. I mean, people have, people have said that for a long time. Not necessarily even just as a member of Aussie Open, but as a um, as a single. So he he's the he's the guy of the tag team that they see as someone who can break out and and you know age and age and athleticism kind of speaks to that as well. Not that Mark Davis is any slouch, dude's amazing, but like um, he Kyle Fletcher's worth watching um, in in this tournament because if he can buzz through even just the first two rounds, that's huge for a guy who's really only done tag stuff. But he had the he's had a couple of singles matches on the Tamashi shows. And people are starting to put the pieces together that he's um, someone that New Japan's really high on. Yeah, there's also the the Will Ospreay match during the pandemic in the Empty Arena Rev Pro I was Series, bring that up, yeah. where, where uh, Fletcher had put on so much weight and was a beefy boy. <laughs> Bro, he wasn't a beefy boy. He was a fucking giant. He was a juggernaut. <laughs> like you look at how big Will Ospreay is now, and he was putting on weight back then. And Will's pretty big. Kyle was way bigger than him like he was like i don't even know how to describe it like he was like vader it was crazy (laughs) 
am I am I exaggerating? Yeah, that's like, a little uh, just a there. little bit. But he he was like really big. No, no, no. I don't mean he was like Vader. I mean comparatively speaking, like compared to Will, he was like a Vader to like a normal person. Like he was way bigger than him. It's just so outlandish. Yeah, how he's able to. I mean, it's kind of deceiving because he's got a, a a big frame, but you don't. He doesn't always have all that weight, so you don't think of him as a big guy like that. Especially since in the early part of his career, he's such a high flyer and very flippy do, but he can do it all. He can be a bruiser, and mm-hmm. uh, he's a guy that you know he's got the the frame too. And the difference between him and Mark Davis, Mark Davis is very talented as well, but Mark Davis is older than him. He's a pretty young guy still right now, and he's got a lot of years in that, ahead of him. Yeah. And also on that left side, there's the continued story with uh, Red Narita and Evil. We've, we've seen the you know the battle between Strong Style and House of Torture over the uh, Never Six Man title. So we'll see that continue on there. Yeah, I'm wondering if they don't have. I know this sounds like against everything that I'm usually about, but I wouldn't be surprised if they have Evil get Red Narita out of their first round. You yeah. know. I, I'm, normally, I would advocate for Renarita to go on a run and be one of the guys, but they have so many people like that in this tournament. Some of these guys are going to have to get ousted, and since these two individuals have such a personal issue already at play, I wouldn't be surprised if Evil cheats and, and gets Renarita gone first night or second night, whatever it is. Yeah, I don't. I don't think all of the kind of young up-and-comers go really far in this tournament. So, you know, Narita already had his run through the TV title tournament. He had his, you know, his Tokyo Dome thing. So maybe it is time for him to kind of settle into where he's going to be. Um, and it gets some heat back on Evil, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Like, Ren Narita's pretty over. People like him in Japan. People like him in the U.S. But you need to keep... I, as much as people are going to hate to hear it, you have to keep evil in the mix because yeah. people fucking hate him. Mm. So like you have to put him in a, in a space for people to get behind whoever he's against. Yeah. The other and if you want to, I, if I'm looking at this quadrant and you want to kind of like do a full baby face situation with someone like Will Ospreay, then you put him in that quarterfinal matchup against evil and it's a clear, you know, face heel dynamic. No more of this tweener United Empire thing. Right. Yeah. Another thing too is like if you're always beating Evil, then when somebody beats him, it doesn't mean anything. So right. he needs to have some victories. I am a little curious about that though. You you bring up the thing with Will. Um, they've kept him pretty heelish. I would say since his loss to Osprey, he's leaned more heel than tweener um, in his you know, feuds and everything after, after that, like he's been getting heat on him and uh, he was definitely the heel side against Tai Chi Tai Chi, in yeah. their match. And he's just kind of seemed nastier and meaner than he was going into the Tokyo dome. So I am wondering if they are going to do a full flip baby face. Cause I mean, they could easily do that anytime. Or if you do think they're going to go the opposite way and continue with the trend of heel, will osprey which that's what they've been doing so far maybe i'm wrong maybe maybe you do need a renarita to be his foil down the stretch because renarita's path would then be so evil and then he would get Cobb. Cobb Cobb after the bye i guess narita could be Cobb and then meet 
Osprey in the quarters. Should be great. And, and you know, this is a company where shades of grade, you know, definitely exists. It's not oh, for always sure. a perfect alignment, so maybe I'm wrong there. But uh, I mean, they could still do evil and Will Osprey, and Will doesn't have to be a full fledged baby face, anyways. Sure, but right. he's going to be the guy that people get behind in that so, match. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I don't I just don't see anyone else to match up against evil unless evil's going to the final four in which case i mean there's a chance el phantasma once he gets past naito he goes through like chase owens kenta evil and he's just buzzing through you know bullet club and bullet club adjacent guys which could be kind of interesting i don't i just don't think that's the story to tell though I mean that, that that could establish him as a leader. He's beating all sure. these guys. Like, all right, I beat you all, so you gotta follow me. <laughs> I'm the, yeah. I'm, the I'm in charge now. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's certainly a, a story worth telling, I suppose. Well, since we're on this quadrant, we're kind of breaking it down. I think just for argument's sake, I think most people are gonna assume Yano beats Mark Davis, slip on a banana peel, very similar to what we see out of Yano most years, because otherwise we'll get Davis against Osprey, Aussie Open versus Aussie Open, which they could go that way. And if they did go that way, if you have Cobb go through on the other side of that bracket, you could have Will going back to back against Aussie Open, or I'm sorry, against United Empire uh, members. And maybe that's a story that they're trying to tell because I am kind of looking at this and I'm wondering, like, does Will need to go deep? He's already won this tournament before is now the time for them to have him go against Okada again. And if not, who, who should he be losing to, you know? And I don't know. I don't know if I see anybody in this block that a loss really makes sense. And it's sort of like, I'm almost kind of like making him the natural victor of that quadrant. Just, just based on the the matchmaking, it doesn't look like there's anyone that can beat him except for maybe a Jeff Cobb or, you know, a cheating evil. But even so, if they go Cobb, that's kind of messes with some dynamics of United, United Empire. Empire. They don't usually do that in a single. Though maybe they'll pull that in a in a G one, but they don't usually pull that in a single elimination situation. It could be interesting if Osprey does get out of this quadrant and meets up with El Fantasmo in the final four. Um, that would be because they have had some great matches in the past. And I would love to see them have a great match as heavyweights. So that's that's an interesting call out just because that I think that, you know, I think Narita and Osprey are the guys to watch on the bottom on the bottom left quadrant. Yeah, I would love to see uh, also Osprey and ELP run it uh, in the final four. That would be the, the March 19th uh, matchup there if they both make it through. I think that would be a lot of fun. And I think Phantasmo beating Osprey, if again, if you're really trying to establish uh, ELP beating Naito, uh, you know, beating, you know, Sonata or Kenta up there and getting to Osprey, then beating Osprey, I'm sure you can do some shenanigans here so Osprey's not losing clean. Um, but him beating. I, I am wondering if Yano beats Osprey. Right. Like mm-hmm. anyone can get Yano'd. Because I'm looking at this and I'm like, I don't know. Like putting Will deep into the tournament just for me, doesn't make a lot of sense unless you want him to win it or you want him to lose in a high-profile spot and put somebody over. But if you have him lose to Yano early, anyone can get Yano'd, and it's the most New Japan Cup shit ever. They've mm-hmm. done it before to Tanahashi and others. And then that kind of opens the door for Evil to be in the Final Four, and that sort of makes more 
New Japan Cup sense to me than anything else. Yeah, but then he's meeting up with. I then mean, you have, then you potentially have him and ELP, and you have the whole Bullet Club leadership situation very much in flux. I mean, I, I know that I'm not one of those people that are, that's like loving or the idea of that whole thing, but it's 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 very much on the table right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm not clamoring for a Bullet Club war, whatever, but they got to do something here, right? I mean, at some point you have to say Jay White's gone. Like, yeah, yeah. So Bullet Club is no more. It's gone. Like theoretically had a leader <laughs> and no longer has a leader. Like someone needs to step up into that, into that role. And maybe that'll actually be interesting. Um. So, yeah, I don't, it's, it's interesting to see a new Japan cup with a bunch of kind of new names and not 48 people. Right. Mm, so yeah. <laughs> it's a lot easier to look at each quadrant, which only has like six. I mean, not like only has six wrestlers in it and kind of break it down. Yeah, I think so, we're, um, you know, looking at the, the top right quadrant, I think we've been overlooking Aaron Hanare. Um, I think there's potential. Oh, here. you were serious. Well, you I think, think he's going to beat Shingo? I think there's a possibility he could. That first round, the first, the first round lost. upset thing is a real thing. And so. Shingo, he lost to to show that one time. Yeah, and Shingo's KOPW. You need a new challenger. You can have Hanare beat him here. That sets up a KOPW match. I like that. I, it also and, keeps, yeah, and it keeps Shingo away from Tamatonga with the the Never Belt. Right. I I wouldn't say we were overlooking it. I just haven't looked at these brackets. <laughs> 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 you're trying to finish fantastic mania i don't want to put too much on my plate <laughs> doing, doing that prep <laughs> but no jeremy i agree with you i think that that's a that's probably a good way to go uh, unless you have shingo and tamatanga which sounds a little sexier i mean unless you want shingo in the never you know mix yeah which i do i want that but yeah. <laughs> like is that what we is that what the bookers want while he's holding the KOPW and kind of doing nothing with it. Mm -hmm. well, well, let's just say, you know, we're kind of assuming Kyle Fletcher is going to beat both Yoshihashi and Goto. I think that the, the whole tag title thing could work if Goto beats him anyways, there's still a way to out yeah, of that situation there. But if he does beat Goto, which would be a pretty incredible run to beat both those guys back to back, who's he facing then out of Shingo, Hanari, and Tamatanga. How's that playing out? I, I think Tama would probably go through. Okay, so you, you've got Hanari pulling the upset on Shingo and then Tamatanga beating Hanari, mm -hmm, and you yeah. end up with Tamatanga versus Kyle Fletcher? Yeah. Hmm, interesting. I, I mean, that probably is the chalk pick. Maybe. Maybe well, I I don't know because I think a lot of people were probably expecting Shingo to just kind of go through but, yeah. sort of like Osprey. Yeah, it's tough. This is a tough year. Yeah. It is. They're gonna. I I think it's a tough year mostly because we're truly seeing a transition of some of the talent in New Japan, right? Like this is the first New Japan Cup in a while that you don't see guys like Tenzan and Kojima and like whatever in the in the first round. Um, even though last year that was kind of a farce because it was a 48 person tournament. Like the, the, the fact that this is all guys that are kind of young and younger or and current, um, and a, a, you know, a fair amount of first timers even, 
it, this that does make it a significantly more interesting tournament. I will say this. It is an interesting tournament from the standpoint of predictability. It's hard to predict, and it's also interesting because there's a lot of uh, unique matchups. But there's not very many matches that I'm looking at for the first two rounds, no matter what the outcomes are, where I'm like, oh, I have to see that. Those don't really start, if at all, happening until the semifinals. Most of these brackets, to me unless very specific things that are highly unlikely take place, there's just not very many, uh, you know, high profile matches on paper here. You mean, uh, Umino and Yudro is not doing it for you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I Umino think... and Zack Sabre Jr. Does it for me. Yeah. That'll be fun. Sounds like a good time. Yeah. I mean, yes, but I'm also, I don't know. I'm, I still have the bad taste from the Naito match in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I, I still think there's very much a question mark with Umino. Um, yeah, I think, I think I would, the best first round match is probably going to be either ELP and Naito or Sonata and Taichi. I was going to say David Finley and Tomohiro Ishii. Oh yeah, that that yeah, that'll yeah. be sweet. Yeah. And plus, we don't know what David Finley is going to be wrestling like with this whole new persona and everything like that. And that's going to be that's probably one of the biggest stories of the tournament in general yeah that's on the anniversary show too so kind of a i guess a touch of a bigger stage mm. yeah the, the, the one hard thing I'm, I'm having a hard time with right now is i'm picturing four foreigners going into the final four do you think mm. they would do you think they would do that because i'm thinking you would get possibly kyle fletcher or actually tama tonga and finley on the right and then elp and maybe osprey on the left but that can't happen. That, right? I, I don't think that that's likely to happen yeah. at all. Yeah. Well, that's why you got to throw in a guy like Narita or Umino or even Great Okan. Let's not forget that he's, you know, around. Well, but he's got theory, though. There's yeah. also the thing where Sonata, even though he's in the middle of a losing streak and everything like that, he always does well in New Japan Cup for whatever reason. He's got a long history of success in this tournament. And. Who knows? Maybe this tournament will be the turning point of whatever that story that they're trying to kick off even is. We saw it in the past with Evil when like Evil wasn't on a hot streak. He was like the lowest performing member of LIJ, and then he turned it around in the cup and then turned heel and joined Bullet Club. So what if they're doing something like that with Sonata? I mean, here's the thing about Sonata. Sonata is 13 and 6 all time in New Japan Cup matches. And he's ten and two against wrestlers in his quadrant all time. Mm. So like, of so all he always of... gets like down to the finals and then loses. Well, that yeah, I mean he's he's been in six New Japan Cups. He's never been exited. He's never been eliminated in the first round. So and he's he's five and one in New Japan Cup matches at Korokin, which is where his first round match is with Taichi. So all the stats. Are, are showing that Sonata is probably going to do okay, but this whole, his vibe is is not that right yeah. now. You know, his vibe is that he's going to lose in the first round for the first time ever. And well, that's that happens, part that's of the a, story. That, that's a narrative. That's part right. of the story. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, yeah, and I'm wondering what happens between Taichi and Kenta coming out of that, if that's the way it, it rolls. Um, Kenta, the new strong openweight champion. Oh, that's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
right? So maybe Tai Chi wins that and then challenges for that title. Yeah. Because I um, guess now that, that title needs to do stuff like outside of the U.S. I don't know. There's so many freaking titles. <laughs> yeah. it, it is interesting how you have heavy United Empire in the bottom left quadrant and then heavy Bullet Club in the top right. Or t- I'm sorry, top, top left, left quadrant. Yeah. Mm. So that whole side of the tournament is very Bullet Club and United Empire heavy just in general. Yeah. And that, and you know, kind of keep like, for instance, like a guy like Tamatonga, he doesn't have any bullet club in his quadrant. So they've sort of made that a total non issue. He does, we don't have to worry about him getting wrapped up in that storyline at all during this tournament until maybe the tail end if he goes that far. Do we think uh, Umino's going to upset on Saber to get a TV title match? Yeah, I mean, that's what I've that's got. That's a great question. Penciled in. Just because you got to figure they got to they got to set up something there, so either Umino or I guess Great Okan or Finley. Yeah, and you know um, a lot of options in that bottom right. <laughs> I don't know. Well, now's probably not the right time to go that way with Umino, but I think yeah. Well, what I I was I'm thinking I'm not fully thinking out my whole thoughts. <laughs> I was thinking um, now might not be a good time to have him win a New Japan Cup, you know, but because he has Zach right there him getting that win would definitely mean something for a title shot so um i wouldn't be surprised if we wind up with like umino and david finley to kind of decide that quadrant that's probably the likely scenario yeah i can see that yeah and then really either one could go through depending on what they're trying to do I, I, the thing is I, who, who in this in this group of 24 who do you who do you see taking on okada and selling tickets to to the um, sector genesis right and that's a great question and i'm really not sure on that and i am a little bit uh bearish on the idea i know a lot of people are predicting dave finley just because you know reasons <laughs> well, the, <laughs> but, big, the big angle and yeah in yeah San Jose. and i and i think it makes sense but i don't know if right now even with all the momentum behind him and all the improvements that he made during the G1, if there's enough momentum to carry him into a program that draws money with Okada. In fact, most of the people in this tournament, I'd say no. Yeah. I think Finley though, if he's, if he is going to lead a bullet club or lead some other kind of faction and they're really heating him up, if he has a a run in this tournament, like I think that will do a great job to establish him there going into Okada. Can they really keep giving foreigners their own units? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a lot. We got Zach, a lot. we got Will, we got yeah, people talking about David Finley that way. I don't know. El Fantasmo, yeah. maybe, I guess. Some, somebody's going to lead Bullet Club, and it's going to be a white dude. Like, that's... From, a, from a traditional standpoint, just looking at the brackets, the only people that are proven commodities that you know could headline and do business with Okada on that level would essentially be Naito, Will Ospreay, Shingo, and Zack Sabre Jr. Almost everybody else on the list would be considered like a tier down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't I don't think any of those four make the final four. Yeah. Maybe are we selling Jeff Cobb short? Yeah, that's that was my other I thought you might mention him as you went through it. Like 
he's done business with Okada he's during not, G1. Right. And uh, G1 and G1 adjacent, right? right? So like is that big enough? Um I think if you if you gave him the right matches during this tournament and really built him up to be presented the way they have in the G1 in the past as like a monster who's dominant, then yeah, possibly. And I mean, I think that we've all talked about the upside of Jeff Cobb in the past. They just kind of cooled him down and, you know, in the past year. If Cobb's going into a match with Okada, he's probably got to beat Osprey. Yeah. Right. That's what heats him up. Right. And that would be a very unique yeah. and kind of special thing if that happened. That would be neat. I, I'm I'm for it. I just don't, you know. It's it's hard to um, it's hard to imagine a scenario where they actually go go with that. I mean the the booking that I'm seeing is like the least sexy booking for, for this tournament. Like I'm seeing like I don't know because you guys brought brought up that mention of like they're not going to have four foreigners, you know, win these blocks. So I'm like, what if we end up with like goto and evil winning their blocks versus like an elp and a david finley i think that that sounds very realistic for new japan cup booking I mean, yeah it's possible the g and the g and new japan cup does stand for goto <laughs> <laughs> i could see him beat the reason i say that is i could see him beating tamatanga and maybe potentially being never. established as like a never title challenger down the line even as a tag champion even at yeah, why not? They've got uh, Okada going after the tag titles as the world That's champion true. That's on true, the yeah. like <laughs> middle of this tournament. Actually, yeah. for all Plus, we know, by the time Goto wrestles, he might not even be a tag. Not, champion. Might not be champion, that, war, especially true. if they've yeah. got Aussie Open on their heels. Yeah. So uh, night one, uh, March is in Cork and Hall. So the full card will have a uh, Oiwa and Tamatanga versus CSJ and Kosei Vegeta, Master Wato, Deguchi, Renderita, and Chota Umino versus House of Torture. Yuto Nakashima, El Esperado, Suzuki vs. Gato, Chase Owens, and Kenta. Leo Rush on the tour, teaming up with Yo, Toriano, and Bushi. Or actually, Leo Rush, Yo, and Toriano versus Bushi, Hiromu, and Shingo. Then Hanuma Tanahashi and Okada versus Yoshihashi, Ishii, and Goto. Then the uh, two New Japan Cup matches will be Naito versus ELP and Taichi versus Sonata. We had a question from the Dark Soldier. Do you think Sonata has a good chance of winning the New Japan Cup? He can start behaving like Evil did in 2020 and start acting more brutal. Perhaps cheats to beat Naito, and when he wins the tournament, he says he's going to do what Shingo and Naito couldn't and beat Okada. Then Okada beats him, and post-match, he quits LIJ. Mm, I don't think... I don't know. I don't think Sonata's winning this tournament. Josh, you're muted if you're talking. Uh, I was, um, yeah, I know. I, like, I was like, man, Chris is talking over me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized, like, oh, I'm muted. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I think he's going to win the tournament. Um, I definitely think that they're doing something with him with this losing streak. Hopefully it's something positive. I don't know what that is. But um, I feel like this booking scenario that's been laid out just sounds a little bit too much like just rehashing an old storyline that, we've already seen um and my thinking is hopefully they're a little more creative than that to do the exact same thing they did with his tag partner 
Right, and plus, too, we've kind of seen the Sonata-Okada New Japan Cup story. Like, that was, like, Sonata's whole thing of trying to get to New New Japan Cup finals. He finally won it, and then the whole series of Okada, which I know some people love, and we weren't as super high as some other people, but I don't think you go back to that either. Unless you heat him up with a new coat of paint and a new gimmick and, and a new lease on life, who knows? I don't know. I mean, he was wearing a tuxedo when he was hanging out at the, uh, was that at the Mudo show? It was the Mudo show. Yeah. I was going to bring that up, but I didn't know if it held any relevance. I think he just likes to like ball out, you know? (laughs) Andrew Rich had a, I don't know if you guys know Andrew Rich, but he had just a perfect tweet and it was like a picture of Sonata and they were like, why are you, he was like, why are you in a tuxedo? And he goes, it's after six. What am I, a farmer? <laughs> Which is like, it's a um, it's a bit from 30 Rock, but it was so, I like cracked up. Like, it's the first time reading a tweet that I just like lost my shit for like minutes on end. I just couldn't stop laughing. Yeah, Andrew Rich has a lot of really great. He's the funny dude. Yeah. He's hilarious. He's uh... all right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just joking. Uh, but yeah, I, I think... Something's what's not as happening, but maybe this the first loss is the straw that breaks it breaks the camel's back, and that leads to whatever is happening with him. I, they're definitely doing a long game thing with Sonata, whatever it's going to be. Yeah. So uh, moving on from that, uh, the New Japan uh, Pro Wrestling Anniversary event will be the following day, uh, March sixth, in Ota City Gym. Uh, so we have the full card for that. It'll be uh, ELP and Kenta versus uh, TMDK of Kosei Vegeta and Zack Sabre Jr. Satoshi Kojima, Tamatanga, and Toriano versus Kyle Fletcher, Mark Davis, and Will Ospreay from United Empire. Then we'll have a uh, Strong Style versus House of Torture non-title match. Uh, then we'll have LIJ, Sonata, Shingo, and Naito versus United Empire's Aaron Hanare, Great Okan, and Jeff Cobb. We'll have uh, Leo Rush and Yo versus Bushi and Hiromu. And then uh, New Japan Cup first-round matchups, Yujiro Takahashi versus Shota Umino. And then uh, Tomohiro Ishii versus David Finley. And then the main event, like we mentioned, the IWGP tag team title match, Bishamon will defend against the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada. It's a cool card, um, just like overall. I think uh, important to note to the listeners that everything on the New Japan Cup tour that isn't in Hamamatsu is a cheering show. Hamamatsu has not decided whether or not they're going to allow cheering yet, but if you know anything about Hamamatsu, it's probably not going to be much different regardless of what they're allowing. But um, so most... In all likelihood, the whole tour will be cheering, including Ota City, which is here for the uh, the anniversary show. Ota City is where they were still doing clap crowds um, for, what was that, New Year's Dash, the day after Wrestle Kingdom. So it'll be cool to see um, this anniversary card in a cheering building. Um, I think the tag match is, is interesting. I'm not sure how you get out of it. Um, I guess Tanahashi takes the pin or they become the champs, but that seems strange. So um, I, I mean, think that's, I think that'll be a good match though. I mean, you say it as though it would be some sort of anomaly for the mega aces to lose. They've eaten many a pinfall. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> they don't but like, 
but Goto or Yoshihashi doesn't gain anything by pinning Okada, right? Like so Tanahashi's the guy in that in that match. I like I like all the people that when this match was made, they're like, Okada's made the worst mistake of his life because he's gonna get pinned by Yoshihashi and then it's gonna set up a title match and then Yoshihashi's gonna beat him. They they have no idea what he's unleashed. <laughs> or Goto finally gets the big belt. That would be cool. I'd be I'm for it. I don't think now's the time, but I'd rather have Suzuki be champion, but eh. <laughs> neither of those things is happening. No, um, but I mean, yeah, looking at the card top to bottom, I mean, you see that they've got the uh, uh, desperate, the strong style group against House of Torture once again. So probably setting up another never six man thing. I would say look for a very likely post match angle setting up their tournament match. Renderita and Evil, that is. Um, obviously, we have the two New Japan Cup first round matches on this night leading to the main event. And um, I, I like that we have a little twist here that it's not, you know, Okada versus Hiromu, which mm-hmm. admittedly would be a really good match, but it doesn't have to always be a junior champion versus a heavyweight champion at the anniversary show. I think that um, for everybody that has complained in the past about them not putting the right emphasis and importance on the junior or on the tag team division and everything, they're pretty much putting their money where their mouth is here because they're putting their two biggest ace stars in a dream match against their most dominant, you know, domestic tag team. And uh, all these guys are in a pretty much in the same stable or, you know, have a, quasi-stable connection with one another so uh it's gonna be really good and um i am anticipating tanahashi to eat the uh what what's their finish called i forget shoto shoto yeah so i think he eats the shoto one two three but yeah this this should be um a fun main event it could have been cool too if they had did like uh catch two two versus bishamon that could have been a cool oh yeah that could have been cool yeah uh, but Definitely. This, this should be fun, though. It's kind of weird, though, if, uh, yeah, Tanahashi not being a New Japan Cup, then being in this match and then potentially, you know, probably losing here. Um, kind of a weird year for the ace. Or just throwing it out there. I mean, who knows? It would change things a lot. But what if Mega Aces do win? Then <laughs> that'd, be, I'm, that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there have been there. There's precedent where we've seen top uh, champions also hold the tag titles on the side as well uh, in this company and other companies. So it's not like the only time it's ever happened. Yeah. I think it'd be uh, something cool for Tanahashi to do. Um, yeah. It adds a whole new wrinkle to whatever Okada's doing. And I wonder how that, that shakes chaos up with, you know, Okada team with Tanahashi to beat his own stable mates. That it, would also, <laughs> it would also, to me, create a scenario where it would be more plausible to think potentially that Okada would lose against the new Japan cup winner. If he also held the tag titles. Mm. I mean, this is a very far-fetched scenario. It's probably not happening, but if, if he, if he were to win the tag titles, then my antennas would go up and I would start thinking maybe someone from this tournament is going to beat him. That's a good, that's a good uh, look there. I know. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> tag titles are they? They're hour long time limits. Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking maybe maybe a draw. I don't know. I was wondering about the 30 minute draw, but it's going to be 60 minutes. 60, so yeah, yeah, they can't do it on this show. 
And do a, you know, the MJF Brian Danielson classic, you know? <laughs> if honestly, these four dudes could probably go Broadway and it would be a damn good time, though. Yeah. It would probably rule. Yeah. <laughs> well, so um, that's pretty much it. I mean, before we move on to the news, do we want to do like final predictions, what our brackets are, or anything like that? Like, what do we, we, we didn't commit to any definitive predictions. We had some really good discussion. <laughs> yeah, great discussion. Very in-depth. But I, I will say I have to not do predictions in this avenue because my predictions will be appearing on NJPW1972.com. Oh, gotcha. So okay. I, have to, I have to give them the exclusive. So, Jeremy, where are you thinking uh, this first quadrant? Who do you got? Uh, in, the, in the top left. Top left. Uh... I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go with Phantasmo making it to final. I'm going Phantasmo as well. The correct choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, bottom left. Who do you see? I hate it, but I'm gonna go evil. I'm going evil as well. I know that that sound. I mean, I've just kind of racked all the different possibilities, and I I don't think Renderita going through makes sense for the reason we the reasons we've talked about. And unless you're wanting to have Jeff Cobb or Will Ospreay do an inter, you know, uh, like an inter-factional match against one another, I think Yano's probably going to beat Will Ospreay and get him out of the tournament. And then we're going to see like a, I think Evil's going to beat Jeff Cobb. Well, I don't know because he's still in the six man. It's This is a tough one, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to tend to, Tentatively go with evil. Right. He he's still in six man, which could stop him from going to the finals and winning. Right. I mean, you could you could have Will Ospreay if you really wanted to establish ELP, Osprey would be the guy to beat because he, he he hasn't beat him as a heavyweight yet. He has as a junior in the past, I believe. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But um they they did have a really fantastic match recently in the G one and Maybe he's due to get that win back. I don't know. Maybe. I think that's the match. But they're both foreigners. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but think about all the foreigners that won at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, that's, that's, true. that's true. I mean, Gato's booking for us. All, it's just, all of it's, them. <laughs> it's just this Japanese company is not looking very Japanese. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't. Know. I mean, look at the results of Wrestle Kingdom. You're. I mean, you're right. You're 100 right. Which is why guys like Ren Narita and Shota Umino are really important to that company. Which is why I think maybe we're not giving them their justice. But I don't know. I I think the match, the sexiest match on this tournament. Is ELP Will Osprey? I agree, but yeah, I'm that's... I'm dismayed because I feel like we're not getting that. Same here. I'm I'm going evil. I think that the Bullet Club issue is still going to be very much on the table throughout this whole thing, and he's like the most likely, uh, you know, domestic star from that quadrant to go through. Personally, I, I think we're seeing evil versus uh, ELP. Maybe I'm wrong. That's what I'm seeing too. But I, I would prefer uh, ELP Osprey though. So top right, who do you got? Uh, that's yeah, I, I'm overthinking the foreigner thing probably, but um, 
I, I got. Uh, I'm gonna go with Tama Tonga coming out that top right. I'm gonna go with Hiroki Goto. Mm. I, I think Goto's gonna go through, and then um, you know, without further ado, I think we're gonna see him versus David Finley. Mm. It is tough to bet against Goto in the New Japan Cup. Like, legitimately, the man owns the New Japan Cup. He has the most New Japan Cup wins, like match victories. He, it's been a while since he had a good run too. But that's the thing that's making me feel like maybe I shouldn't go with him is that he hasn't had a good run in the tournament in a long time. Maybe those days are gone. Yeah. And it's, it's, tag, it's tag champ and, and super committed to the tag team thing. It's like picking Taguchi in a super juniors just because he used to do really good back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Big match. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's, that's what I'm seeing. And, to, to be honest, I, I hope I'm wrong because it's not necessarily the most alluring. I mean, even uh, with those matchups, nothing coming out of them to me gets me super hyped. Yeah. But but then again, that's what New Japan Cups kind of used to look like back in the day. Yeah, this is a pretty... This is the level of kind of... And the, and the span of talent that we used to see in the New Japan Cups. But like, a lot of weird guys have won new japan cups yeah Mm -hmm. so i don't know i i have nothing's off the table i yeah i was gonna say i have a tough time ruling anyone out um because i mean if you want to go chalk and safe you can go with naito or shingo or osprey if you want to make someone you've got a bunch of options here that that could be made you know and i don't know i mean maybe the finals el phantasma versus david finley for you know a title match and the loser, the loser has to lead bullet club for six years. <laughs> hmm. I mean, I, I like my booking of Tomohiro Ishii going through those, <laughs> those matches sounded awesome. That's what I would do. <laughs> that, I mean, he's got a nice path that could make people really excited and establish himself as a, uh, wrestling observer hall of famer. I yeah. think I'm picking ELP to win this tournament regardless one way or the other though. Yeah, I think ELP is the pick, I think, yeah, if you want to elevate somebody new. If there was someone you were going to elevate, I think he's the best bet. You could go with David Finley, but I just, personally, I don't see money in that right now the same way I see money in ELP as the the potential Bull Club leader against, uh, you know, Okada. I think that that is something that has more upside right now. I think if you really want to get ELP over, though, you got to give him Osprey in the semis. I would agree with that, but yeah. at the same time, there's the I'm I'm still torn on this whole Bullet Club thing with Evil. Maybe I'm yeah. crazy on that. I don't know. I I just don't think they're ever going to do a Bullet Club like internal warfare thing. I don't even know if I would call it that. I think it would be more like establishing him as the leader. Sure. Yeah. Like he well, might... nothing nothing's gonna come of any of that until Dantaku. Like you know that that's when they're gonna establish like a ton of Bullet Club stuff because that's right. Where it, and it's I think is this year the ten year anniversary? They already did it. Yeah, they're past last, ten years. Last year, two years ago. It's time. It time? started in twenty thirteen, but last year was the ten year anniversary, right? Or am I wrong? Or is this year? Last year. Oh, it no. started in thirteen. Then this all right. Year's so yes, it's ten, 10 year. year. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. I, I was right. I was right again. <laughs> um, it just seems like a lot longer. 
but ELP's <laughs> sure got does. he's got Chase Owens on his bracket that he has to face, and then potentially Kenta, and then if the next guy he beats is Evil, Evil, it, right? Those are like three of the top guys in in the you know group. I don't know; it just makes sense to me. Yeah, and there's nobody. Oh, Yujiro, I guess, is Bullet Club adjacent on the right side of the he's, bracket. He's the one person that That's I would... You, you said that there wasn't anyone you felt comfortable ruling out. I feel comfortable ruling out <laughs> Yujiro as being a... He's not winning this tournament. <laughs> if someone gave you odds to bet on him to not win the tournament, put the house on him. Put your life savings on Yujiro is not winning this tournament, period. I, I would put any amount of money comfortably on that. <laughs> It's a good bet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our New Japan Cup coverage. Let's uh, run over to the news real quick and cover these uh, news items. Uh, so uh, Mercedes Monet, her next uh, two opponents are, are announced. So she'll be facing uh, Azumi at Secure Genesis on April 8th. And then uh, Mayu Uitani on Stardom's April 23rd show from Yokohama Arena. Nice. So just enough time to get in a high speed match with the Zumi and then drop the title to Mayu Iwatani and leave the promotion. Which <laughs> is probably what's happening. Well, we'll see. I mean, if she loves it as much as she does, maybe a new deal will she be made. Seemed, uh, did you guys watch the YouTube uh, documentary? Like, vlog? No, not yet. No. It's, it's cool. It's actually, it's really neat. And I'm not, you know, I uh, have never paid much mind to Mercedes Monet or Sasha Banks, but it's very it feels very genuine mm-hmm. um and it's definitely worth checking out i know I, I think i tweeted a link if you if you need to go find it but um it's it was surprisingly genuine from someone who i i don't think is necessarily presented that way all the time so yeah. definitely worth checking out i'll check it out my this is not me coming from a personal standpoint it's just from a business standpoint she's only signed for a few dates and i think once those dates are up back to the negotiating table she goes and are they gonna keep paying her what they're paying her whatever that may be or could potentially going back to wwe be more alluring that's what i'm wondering yeah. either way i mean even if we yeah. only get the three matches these are those are three pretty pretty cool matches it's better than the mysterio run <laughs> <laughs> that would have that was gonna be cool though. it was gonna be it cool. was gonna be cool yeah. man <laughs> damn uh, another news: uh, Yu Yamura apparently suffered an injury uh, during the last set of Impact tapings this past weekend. I don't know if it's a work or a shoot. When I read the report, it kind of seemed like it might have been part of the storyline. But there that sounds people- like a work. They just announced him versus um, Alex Coughlin for Bloodsport. That's not very far from now. They, well, they announced that before he got hurt. Oh, no, yeah. then disregard. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, I. My understanding was that it was not a work. Okay. Not good. Um, that's from the. That's actually from someone on the impact side of things. Gotcha. So, uh, thanks, Jeremy Borash. <laughs> <laughs> yep, me, me and Borash. Bor- Borash is in WWE. <laughs> I know. I'm. I just threw out the first name I could think of. Scott Demore. Thanks, Dixie. <laughs> Jeff thanks, Jeff. Double J. <laughs> Um, but we'd have a question from okay, okay, 890 after the injury. Do you think New Japan will be bringing Yomura back? I don't know. I don't think it doesn't seem like the injury is like a long, long term kind of thing. I think he's, he's probably gonna just take some time off and he'll be back. 
yeah. he'll probably stick it out with Impact, which seems to be officially where his excursion is happening. Yeah. So not LA. I wish he'd come back to New Japan strong quarterly <laughs> for pay-per-views. He'd be back strong in like on demand. Months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Aussie Open have had, had a couple uh, AW appearances this past week. They were, they were in the tag uh, Battle Royal on last week's Dynamite. They faced the, the Young Bucks on Rampage. And then this coming Wednesday, they'll be at the uh, tag Casino Royale to fill out the uh, final spot in the four-way tag title match for uh, AW Revolution coming up this Sunday on Pay-Per-View. Um the, there's also Ring of Honor tapings this past weekend. The the first set of tapings under uh, you know Tony Khan. So Zack Saber Jr. was there. He defended the TV title against Blake Christian. Uh, Hot Sauce Tracy William and Rhett Titus faced Aussie Open. Uh, Josh's trainer Matt Seidel teamed up with Christopher Daniels to take on Aussie Open as well. Uh, Open we- your third eye. <laughs> Wheeler Utah uh, faced off against Clark Connors, the Wild Rhino, for the uh, ROH Pure Wrestling title. Uh, they have a question from OKOK890. Okay, okay, do you think the LA Dojo guys will make their new home at ROH, or do they finally come to Japan? Both, hopefully. Yeah, I was going to say yes. Yeah, I don't think it's a either or. And then uh, last note from the tapings, uh, Utah put out a challenge to Katsuyor Shibata for a ROH pure title match. So maybe the uh, WrestleMania weekend uh, pay-per-view uh, will be uh, Utah versus Shibata. That's and Shibata... Cool I was going to say Shibata signed a contract extension with New Japan. So yeah. that's how cool a, he is. Like si- signs she- a contract extension with New Japan and then picks up a- another wrestling match somewhere else. <laughs> it's it's just cool that it's cool that like other champions are like, I want to defend my belt against you. <laughs> 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 I challenge you to challenge me for my belt. <laughs> Uh, then last thing here, we had uh, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Awards come out this past weekend. Uh, the new- Bullshit Awards. <laughs> the the niche, you know, wrestling fan awards. This is not real. Fightful is the real. PWI <laughs> is the real awards, Jeremy. Well, talking about Observer here. Uh, <laughs> new Japan got some uh, awards here. So uh, Will Ospreay won Most Outstanding Wrestler. Uh, the pro wrestling match of the year was Okada vs. Osprey from uh, August 18th. The Japanese MVP was Kazuchika Okada. The Europe MVP was Will Osprey. Best television announcer, Kevin Kelly. Best major wrestling show, AEW and New Japan present Forbidden Door. And the best wrestling maneuver was Will Osprey's Hidden Blade. Nice. Well, let's uh, jump into the questions real briefly, unless you don't think we have time. Uh, I, think, I think we've got time. Chris, are you, you still good? Yeah, I think there's only a couple questions here. Yeah. So, uh, Solid Deuce says, how do you feel if... <laughs> <laughs> if uh... what, what a name. Oh my God. Uh, Maybe so... we don't have time. <laughs> He says, how do you feel if BC primarily worked the U.S., Impact, ROH, Strong, etc., and away from Japan's main event scene? This give NJPW freedom to push Japanese mainstays, ELP, Ishimori, House of Torture in a new direction, and possibly promote ZSJ or ELP to Jay's old spot without breaking up Bullet Club. BC slash House of Torture is the most fatiguing part of NJPW, and I personally just want their roles diminished. I don't think that sounds likely. That's the only thing I, I will say. It, it 
sounds very unlikely that anything like that would ever actually happen. Well, solid deuce. <laughs> I don't I don't think that's happening. And I don't mean the solid deuce. Yeah, I think Bull Club, as long as they're printing money and it's a mainstay in, in New Japan, I think they're going to just keep getting new leaders and keep it running. Um, next set of questions here from the Dark Soldier. Uh, this one's more of a statement. He says, hearing Josh's comment, yo, is like watching how the Grinch stole Christmas. Young boy's heart grew three sizes of that podcast. That's not true. I've got a, a long track record of changing my mind about talent when they produce you know i used to hate yoshihashi like the guy i've also soured on people that i used to like when they don't produce so you know yo yo had a really great match against romo now i will tell you this t-shirt yo on fantastic mania tour <laughs> has not really lit my world on fire <laughs> yeah i missed uh, the fusion and Raijin, you know. fusion Raijin, yeah i was gonna say there was no and, uh, Namayanas this time. Nama, or Namahage or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Namahage. <laughs> For some reason, they replaced Namahage with El Desperado. I don't know why. Yeah. yeah. It's like El Desperado is a draw or something. <laughs> they gave him his spot. Uh, he also uh, asked, he says, uh, Jeremy, is your father-in-law a true fan of keeping it strong style? Yes. This man listens to this show every week, <laughs> all yeah, three but, hours. Yeah, but... Who's he tuning in for? It's not you. <laughs> this man tunes in for the young boy. Okay. Uh, Listen, I also tune in every week for all three hours, so we could be. Yeah, friends. but yeah, but you like both of us. Jeremy's mm. father-in-law likes me more than he likes Jeremy. He told me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um. And he says, uh, to quote Cody, is the Bullet Club fine given they have no leader right now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seemed to be okay. <laughs> uh, his last question, why hasn't Shima showed up in the past few months? He was doing great work as well as the Strong Hearts, and they just vanished. That's a great question. Time no to leave the territory. That's, oh. I, that's like going to be the, the name of Shima's uh, memoirs by the end of his career because <laughs> yeah. he's just bouncing around so much. I love him. Don't get me wrong, but he doesn't really. I mean, Glate, I guess, is his home. Yeah, it is. Yeah, he's, but yeah. I think he has partial ownership. I know. State. Yeah, he's he's pretty involved there. But yeah, I mean, I would love to see him back again. No space in this 24 man New Japan Cup. If they went to 50, 52 or whatever, <laughs> they could have done it. Could have squeezed him in. Yeah. <laughs> and he's only jobbing to Okada. So if Okada's not in the tournament, he's probably not. Gonna, <laughs> he's probably going to win it. Yeah, they're probably Actually, calling... <laughs> yeah, that's why Shima's not around is because they don't want him to challenge for the title yet. Yeah, they call him like, "You want to be in New Japan Cup?" He's like, "Am I beating Okada? No. Ah, uh, I'm good. Ah, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I got a Glade show. Sorry." <laughs> Uh, next set of questions from uh, Doctor. They called Lee. him and they said, "We want you to come back, and we want you to lose." Hello, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, the number you have reached has been disconnected. Doctor Larry the Dark uh, asks, "Which wrestler who worked the show do you think listens to E Forty? My money is definitely on King Switch. I think he's talking about Battle in the Valley." What? What is E Forty? I, I I don't know. Bro, I don't know what E40 is. Chrissy, you, you know, you're, you're the music man. This is out of my depth. <laughs> I will I will do a quick Google as you move along. <laughs> that is that's what he says. Obviously, New Japan chooses to keep Tyler. Oh, it's an American rapper. Oh. 
Okay. I, I don't know E40. Never listen to his music. Same here. E40 Jay, do you think Jay White listens to rap? Oh, he's he's like a old school rapper from like the early to mid nineties. I could see so, it. Yeah. I could see it. I, I'm not familiar with E40. He has he has a wine empire apparently. Mm. Yeah. Um, Rich is listening, being like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, these, <laughs> Rich is like, these idiots. <laughs> um, she also asks, "Obviously, New Japan chooses to keep ties with TNA and AEW, but how do you think that going forward with New Japan, willing to use names like Mercedes, Okada, etc., do you think New Japan will be breaking through in the U.S.?" It doesn't hurt. Yeah, it's it's kind of something they've been trying to do for a long time, and they had some really sick momentum, and then twenty. 20 happened 2019 2020 happened with aew and then the pandemic so kind of building it from scratch again now yeah i think new japan can easily kind of overtake impact in the u.s and but they seem to have a good partnership i think if a if new japan ever got back to like an aew level of competing for number two there might be some issues with that, with that relationship but i don't know if new japan will ever get back to that i mean i would i would argue new japan's are i mean probably most likely past impact in most metrics the only thing they don't they don't have the same level of television deal and you know they're not pulling in the same numbers that impact does better tv than them but they also own the channel yeah i mean they essentially have the same television deal because they're on back to back but they're at a yeah i mean essentially it's pretty much the same except for like you know they're doing reruns of shows that are already on like it's it's not exactly the same. Yeah. Speaking of Mercedes and or yeah, Mercedes Monet and and Kyrie's the the Axis match this week. It's probably gonna do pretty good numbers. Yeah. yeah. And I think it. I think that's before it'll be up on World. I don't think it'll, anything will go up on World until next weekend. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Def Triangle Seven Twenty asks, "Do you think New Japan should be more aggressive and lock down Aussie Open and West Coast Wrecking Crew and bring them to Japan?" Yeah, I do. Yeah, I'm surprised that no one's signed them yet. It's kind of uh, mind-boggling. I also think that that would show a lot of commitment to the tag division. Yeah, which mm-hmm. you know, I, I think they're trying to do that with Goto and Yoshihashi, but to like bring in some proper outside tag teams, like specifically as tag teams, it kind of harkens back to you know God and stuff. So I think mm-hmm. they need that type of team that's just going to be kind of a the thread that that the the division goes through and Aussie open or West coast wrecking crew could either be that. Definitely. And we saw world tag league, how fun it was when they have so many different teams and options. So I think, yeah, the more teams that can sign, especially two talented teams like Aussie open and West coast wrecking crew will definitely help in the long term. Um, and last set of questions here from Hawaiian punch BV Does a AJPW seems to be running an all Japan versus outsider storyline. Which new Japan wrestlers do you think will take part in this except Nagata? Of course, how would you feel if Coglin and Kid competing in their tag division? It'd give them more experience, and they'd be in Japan. Um, I mean, I'm not too privy to what goes on in All Japan, and I don't, I don't watch their product like that. That's my dog. <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch their product, so I, I couldn't say. But I mean, I'm always open to New Japan talent working outside dates, especially with other domestic groups. So, I mean. You know, uh, we saw what happened to Gata recently, and that's very exciting. And hopefully, that more stuff happens. Oh, he's tired. <laughs> uh, telling you to wrap it up, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think any way to utilize Coglin and Kid would be cool. 
I mean, I'd rather them be utilized in New Japan, but if you want to get some outside work competing in All Japan, that would be cool too. And then uh, he says, uh, when are we getting a Hitachero versus ZSJ match for the TV title? <laughs> they they do have one official match uh, from 2018 in PWG on the Smokey and the Bendito show. Um, and I mean, for my money, I, I mean, I'm not the all being expert when it comes to Lucha, but from what I've seen, Hechicero is the number one Yave guy in all of Lucha Libre and has been for quite a while, to, to the best of my estimation. So him and Zack Sabre Jr., I've heard that that match is really fantastic, and I, I, I could only imagine how good that might be from a map-based perspective. Yeah. And then his last question, thoughts on Jake Paul taking his first L after fighting a legit boxer? I'm pretty sure I've said many, many times on this show that if they put him in there with just one competent boxer, he would lose the fight. And that's what happened. And he pretty much lost every single round. I think most judges gave him like the third round because he landed a couple good big shots, but he got outstruck almost the whole night. And uh, yeah, he didn't look like he belonged in the ring with the boxer. Because he just focused on WWE now. No, he's actually maybe because he signed a PFL, which is an MMA fight league, and I don't know why he is signed there. He doesn't have, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, for for what it's worth, Logan Paul could probably fight MMA. I've actually seen him train um, and and roll with a uh, world ranked MMA fighters, and he he looked like he belonged. Believe it or not, like he's that physically talented from an athletic, and he it makes sense because he was like a. a like a all, I think he was all state or all national like level wrestler when he was in high school. So he's very, very, very good. But Jake doesn't have that same background or, you know, he's got a big punch, but that's about it. He's not the same level of athlete as Logan Paul is. So I don't know if, I don't think he could do WWE and I don't think he can do MMA. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it for the questions. Uh, recommended match of the week. Uh, last week I recommended uh, the Muto Naito match from Wrestle Kingdom 6. This was uh, very, very, very interesting to kind of go back and rewatch. And luckily, um, I mean, I, I like watching stuff with Japanese commentary, but they recently did the English commentary with Chris Charlton and Kevin Kelly for the Muto retrospective. So I, I gave that a whirl just to check it out. And um, it's always, you know, they do a g- good job, but it's always a little different when they're calling the action so many years after the fact, you know, it's not like they're pretending like they're actually there necessarily, but um, the match was so unique and interesting because Naito was still in his stardust genius phase. He was pretty early in his singles run coming out of no limit. And this is only his second singles match in the dome. The, the, the year prior, he, had one of the worst dome matches ever against a, a coked up Jeff Hardy. <laughs> and that, that match is extremely infamous because Jeff Hardy said that they were going to go out there and have the greatest match in the history of Tokyo <laughs> dome history. It, it was not. So then they, they come out here the next uh, year and it's him versus night or Muto genius versus genius. And it's literally the last singles match that Kiji Muto ever has in a new Japan ring. And, um, this match was not it for if you were a Tetsuya Naito fan watching this live, I could only imagine what your pain, suffering and frustration had to be like, because 
he got so little in this match. I mean, they did some cool grappling in the beginning, but once Muto took over, like he really just took over and like Naito didn't even get to like have strike exchanges with the guy. And this is the semi-main event of Wrestle Kingdom that year. It's a big, big spot. It's the most important match of Naito's life up to that point. And all he can get is like drop kicks and like tackle spots. For the most part, Muto pretty much dominates him. And every single time Naito starts to like mount uh, a comeback or an offense, he just gives him like a, a dragon screw or a shining wizard. And down the stretch, um, he hits him with like four or five shining wizards. And the one like consolation prize he gets is that he kicked out of them. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets no there's at no there's no point where it looks like he's going to win like he goes for a stardust press and misses and that's about it um he does get a few quick roll-ups like he's yo right now like the way like when yo's in trouble he goes for a couple desperation like you know lucha libre like roll-ups that's kind of what naito is doing here he never really had muto in trouble on any level and then muto hits him with a, a moonsault and it's like I don't know. It's sub 15 minutes, I think. And it's literally 90% Muto just beating the shit out of <laughs> Tetsuya Naito. And Muto's like, this is uh, 11 years ago. He's 60 now. So he's like 49 years old at the time. And Naito's like this hot rising star for the company. He's like the future. And Muto just beat him and then left. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of baffling. But the funny thing is, as terrible as all that was, they definitely did the same spots in the match that they did in the Tokyo Dome here and kind of alluded to their their past there. But yeah, this was a, a weird bit of business and not a great way for Naito to get his uh, Tokyo Dome career off to a, a hot start at all. Yeah, definitely an interesting match to watch leading into the uh, Muto uh, retirement match. I wouldn't recommend it as like a great match, but it has a lot of historical context. So, plus, you know, it's a semi-main event for Wrestle Kingdom. It's kind of required viewing. So, if you haven't seen it, I would definitely say check it out, but it's weird, man. <laughs> uh, then the excursion match of the week was uh, Yuji Nagata versus uh, Kento Miyahara for the uh, Triple Crown Championship. And uh, this match was awesome. Uh, Yuji Nagata, you know, 50, 54 years old, uh, doing his best every day absolutely this match was so hard hitting and um you know this was just like a this could be like a, a close like match of the year type of level matchup especially for you know, a guy like Eugene Nagata in his like mid 50s um going out here and just absolutely killing it uh really enjoyed the matchup and think people should go out of the way to, to see this matchup and I'm interested to see just kind of the year that Eugene Nagata is going to have and we have a couple questions here uh, that dude named uh, Mendes more thoughts on the Gata winning the Triple Crown. Any thoughts on outside companies having the New Japan, having New Japan winning their titles? And Dom Hui one one thoughts on Kento Miyahara. Do you think that he should look to get into a bigger stage? Uh, I th- I think Kento deserves a bigger stage, but I think he's potentially happy as being like the biggest star in all Japan. Um, but you know, time time will tell. Yeah, I, I don't want to weigh in on this too much because I haven't seen the match yet, but um, th- this seems to be a trend of some sorts for smaller companies. Like we saw it with uh, Kojima and Noah this past year, past summer, where the, you know to bring in some of these dads, bigger names who are proven draws, guys that 
have track records and can still go, but maybe can't be utilized to their fullest potential and extent in New Japan Pro Wrestling, but really could make a big difference business-wise for some of these smaller companies. And I think it's smart business, you know, plus there's the historical aspect as well. You bring in a guy like Nagata, wins the big title, completes the triple crown, yada, yada, yada. And now there's a great narrative because he's an outsider. He's not even in their champions carnival this year. And, uh, you know, whoever wins that carnival is going to have to go up against him. He's not even involved. And uh, it's it's a good storyline. So. Yeah, I think it's New Japan's way of kind of helping out the Piro scene by sending some of these bigger, um, you know, New Japan dad names out there to help those promotions kind of draw and kind of help keep those businesses afloat. And so, yeah, I think it's great um, for Nagata. Um, like I said, he can still go. Obviously, he's not, you know, 30-year-old, Eugene Nagata, but at 54-year-old, he's still out here killing it, having these great, you know, hard-hitting match-of-the-year contenders. Um, and then Kekami Ohara, I think, yeah, he should be like Chris saying on a bigger stage, but it's one of those things like is he super loyal to all Japan and does he want to be, you know, the really big fish in the small pond? Or does he fear like, yeah, going into that that big ocean, does he fear of being lost? But he's an incredible talent and I think he would succeed on a bigger stage. Uh so Josh, what do you got for the recommended match of the week? Yeah, so for the recommended match of the week, uh I know we don't do this very often, but I am gonna give you an outside match from history that I think would be something that's good to check out. Uh, and we're going to go to the wrestling and romance promotion, otherwise known as war. Uh, the date is October 11th, 1996. And it is the match between one, the great Muda versus Genjiro Tenryu. And, um, that's a great match. If you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. I think it very likely is probably the best match in the history of the Great Muda's persona, stateside or Japanese. Um, and it's really, really hardcore. Nice. Looking forward to checking that out. Uh, then for the excursion match of the week, going to go with the Young Bucks versus Aussie Open, which happened uh, last Friday on AW Rampage. Oh, that's good because I've got a subscription to TBS. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to wrap things up for the show. Chris, thanks so much for joining us again for this uh, marathon here. Go ahead and give the listeners uh, your plugs and where they can find you online. Anything you got coming up on the pike. Yeah. Uh, always a pleasure to do the big keeping it strong style three hour marathon. Um, you can find me on Twitter at the Chris Samsa. And my New Japan Cup Bracketology previews will be up at njpw1972.com this week. If you need a New Japan Cup bracket or you just want to see the bracket, you can get that at supporterprowrestling.com. Nice. Well, yeah, that's going to wrap the show up. And you probably missed it. We're, we're not doing a New Japan Cup contest this year. Uh, we, we thought about it, but then we changed our minds, and that's our prerogative. <laughs> it is what it is. But uh, yeah, check out uh, all Chris's resources on uh, njpw1972.com, the bracket on sportofwrestling.com, and fill your own bracket. Just have, just have fun with it. Unless someone wants to do it for us. <laughs> if, if someone wants to do the New Japan Bracket Contest for us, hit us up. We, we have many. You can reach us. There's lots of ways. And we will endorse it, provided we trust you. So, yeah, you kind of have to be someone we know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, that's going to wrap it up. Next week, we'll be back. And we're not going to pay you if you... This is fully, you know, volunteer based. <laughs> uh, uh, next week, we'll be back to review the first night of the New Japan Cup and the anniversary event. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow... The network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. Instagram, we're at Social Suplex on Reddit. I'm the pro black guy. Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at Social Suplex.com. Check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio hosted by Rich Latta and James Boy. The Grave Consequences hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd and Austin. The AW Match Guide podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. And the Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Ichiba. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now, but I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR.